too many. Sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall. Yes, I've Kills men by the hundreds. And if he were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes and bolts of lightning from his heart. <laughs> I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives? But they'll never take our freedom! It's 15 seconds after the hour of 11, and this is the month of September in the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed, yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970, the talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, a conglomeration of morons. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Sarah's mood is, I'm having difficulty swallowing. It's 503-733-2970. You want to join us today? It is Wednesday, and welcome to Day 12, friends, Romans, neighbors, children of all ages, countrymen. Uh, we have uh, problems right here in River City, and we'll discuss them later on. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Just there when I said River City, that was my backup reference to the music man. I was trying to do a trouble with a capital P, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool. But I wasn't going to do pool. I was going to do, like... I don't know. What's the thing that's bothering us here in uh, here in Portland? You know, like, and that rhymes with D for darts. I was going to do some sort of variation on the P for pool. Trouble with a capital T, and that rhymes for C, and that stands for is coffee, but that's, that's two syllables. It doesn't really work. I'll figure it out. We're going to come back to that. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. It is uh, Wednesday. Uh, if you'd like to uh, get on board with your comments, questions, ruminations, uh, bits of ill-founded gossip or unsubstantiated rumor, we accept all things here. Everyone is equal in my eye. It's uh, 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol, standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, about white wheat bread. Uh, white wheat bread. 
See, I was trying to be too clever by half just there. I was trying to do white bread, wheat bread, whatever. Okay, it's going to be one of those days. Uh, if you want to email us, you can do that as well. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. Uh, as you know, every day this week, we might actually extend this to next week because i got a whole bunch of submissions, a whole uh, basket full of uh, suggestions for this. Starting, I mean, we do a movie speech or a movie scene at the beginning of every show. All this week, because it started last Friday with Patton, we're trying to do iconic movie speeches. Yeah, so there you go. That was uh, Mel Gibson. Well, he's the, like the living embodiment, too, of a guy you've got to separate from his art. Because if you watch movies and just think, that's ah, Mel Gibson, then it just becomes impossible to enjoy them because you just picture him, I don't know, like waving his junk around, drunk, screaming about Jews. I saw the uh, William Wallace monument when I went to Sterling. Isn't it like Scotland? 100 feet high? Is it huge? No, it's, it's small, but it's been vandalized so many times because the William Wallace monument, well, because they, they have his sword there. Yeah. The, the monument. But at the base of it, there's a statue, and at the bottom of it, it's a statue of um, Mel Gibson. Of course that is. And it has been, it's been vandalized so many times. It was vandalized when I was there, and it's like, it's like been beheaded and stuff because the people of Scotland are so angry yeah. that it's Mel Gibson. What can you do? All right. It was pretty hilarious. It's 503-733-2970. I love the idea that it's not enough to have a statue of the actual William Wallace. They then have to put a statue of Mel Gibson next to it. It was it was so not Jesus. <laughs> that William Wallace. It was Mel Gibson. The world doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, if you want to email, it's uh, rick at rickemerson.com, sarah at 970.am, tim at 970.am, or richie with a t at 970.am. A little pulling back the curtain moment. I almost did that, uh, what's his name's final speech from the day the earth stood still? Where he comes out and is, you know, and he's, and you have policemen who enforce your laws. We accept this as the way of your world. But it's like nine minutes long. So i got to find a way to cut that down. Anyway, uh, iconic speeches all this week, uh, ladies and gents. All right. Uh, here's what's coming up today. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins uh, will join us. I guess she was on the road doing the convention thing. Then she had a couple days off. Now she's back. Uh, we'll talk to her about... Oh, man, I don't even know where to start. You have that audio, undoubtedly, of Barack Obama, right? Yes. Oh, man. How great is that? Here's the thing. I'm so torn about that Barack Obama thing that he said, that the thing he said yesterday about Sarah Palin. I mean, I'm sorry. That wasn't in any way about Sarah Palin. That wasn't a reference to her in any way, shape, matter, manner, or form. What did he say? You haven't heard it? No. Oh, oh God. Oh, it's did so great. Did he blow it? Did, did he, did well, he do like a it, Howard Dean? It depends on who you ask. Um... We'll we'll unfurl that audio here. We may actually just do it here before the break so everybody kind of knows what we're talking about. It's pretty genius. I saw it last night, and uh, the first thing I saw about that Barack Obama statement was I saw it on Drudge. He did like a little flash headline where it was just a text. Then I spent the next 20 minutes trying to find it online, and then at the 21st minute, my prayers were answered. Uh, so we'll talk about that here in just a second, and then I will give you my thoughts on it. Uh, a Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum going to be joining us uh, from New York City today. And we'll also talk to uh, Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. I think we're going to try to uh, beat the bushes and come up with Peter Carlin. I don't know he's off doing a thing. He's like living in a tree and on a right and something or other. So we'll uh, we'll talk to Peter Carlin. I think today because we have Mad Men to talk about and then we have The Shield uh, episode two of the final season, which aired last night, which was fantastic. So we'll talk to Peter Carlin about that today. On the two o'clock hour, uh, we're going to talk to Tim English. Uh, he's written a book about most stolen rock and roll melodies and or riffs. So maybe that'll be interesting. Maybe it won't. It was interesting enough to get me to book him. Uh, so later on today, we'll talk to Tim English about ripped off rock and roll riffs. Uh, today, we will be taking your 60-second rants uh, for a shot at Dennis Miller tickets. Dennis Miller going to be live at Spirit Mountain Casino this Friday and Saturday. 
Uh, we've been giving away tickets to Friday and Saturday's show. Today we're going to be giving away the grand prize. It'll be a pair of tickets to see Dennis Miller live at Spirit Mountain Casino this Saturday, uh, as well as overnight accommodations at their Flush Resort. Uh, so we will take your rants all day long at 503-733-2970. 60-second rant. You can either read it, you can recite it, you can memorize it. Uh, it can be straight out of your brain with no preparation, but it must be original. It must be of your own creation. It cannot be uh, previously existing. Uh, so today, all day long, we will go to the phones at 503-733-2970. We'll take your 60-second rant about a subject of your choosing. As long as it's original, at the end of the day, we pick the best rant. You go to see Dennis Miller, and you get the overnight lodging there. Uh, what else? Yesterday, we played the first of our two It's the Worst Song You've Ever Heard submissions. We had Jesus Is My Friend by Sunseed. Today, uh, we have the second installment of It's the Worst Song You've Ever Heard. Uh, I'm not going to pretend that we're really going to get to the top five, but I will say this. If we find ourselves with slack moments on the program, it doesn't really ever happen. But in some sort of theoretical parallel world, uh, I do actually have an old top five we never got to. So I'll pull that out, dust it off, and we'll get to that if we have to. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Tim Riley is working on the following stories for your edification on this Wednesday. Okay, so I think I have the soundbite that everyone's waiting to hear. It's oh, great. Boy. Okay, let's hear it. This okay, let me give a little background to this. So you remember uh, when, uh, let me, uh, you know, and here's the thing. I ought to just make a permanent, i got to set this up as just a permanent part of my sound bank. Give me just one second, Tim. Uh, let's see. Let me load this, and there's going to be a little, uh, I think there's going to be a little plonk sound here. There we go. All right. Uh... What kind of sound a plunk sound? It's a plunk sound. Uh, so this is, we're going to talk a bit about... I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. Sarah Palin. And so, you know, she gave that speech at the convention the, the Thursday ago, two Thursdays ago. And it was just like a bad Leno monologue. I mean, it's sort of set up, set up, bad punchline. Set up, set up, bad punchline. But she had that terrible like joke. joke. That's, that's what we're talking about. That uh, horrible joke that she set up. And I mean, just in terms of comedy and delivery. I mean, it was awful. Yeah, I mean, it was like watching dinner theater in Akron. So she gets up there and she says, well, you know, the difference between a hockey mom and a pit bull, beat, lipstick, and then... The worst thing I've ever heard. Like the idiot easily amused crowd just roars with laughter. So she makes the comparison between hockey moms and lipstick. What does Barack Obama say yesterday, Tim? Oh, God. Okay, here we go. Let's see if I can get this going here. But I love this country too much to let them take over another election with lies and phony outrage and swift vote politics. Enough is enough. Nope, that's not it. Oh, come on. Darn it. Oh. Darn. Were you playing that off Metro? Yeah, I was playing it off Metro. Oh, that was the biggest anticlimax just now. I know. Yeah, I don't even know what, what you guys are alluding well, see, to. But now you have to hear it. Now we can't reveal it. Hold on a second. Let me see if I can find it. Okay, let me see here. All right. Well, we'll look for it. Hello, Sarah. Hello. You're looking spry today. Uh, when do you, when's the last time you got any sleep? And for how long did you sleep? I slept for about three hours. And when did you go to bed? About 5.30. Well done. Glad to see that after your visit to the doctor, you're treating your body like a temple. <laughs> I was hanging out with my friends and we were having a fun time, and then it sounded like a good idea to watch The Last Unicorn at 5 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's never a good idea to watch The Last Unicorn. On a scale of 1 to 10, uh, when you decided to watch, when did you start watching The Last Unicorn last night? Like 4.30. We went to some like after-hours wow. like, fancy club thing. On a scale of 1 to 10, <laughs> I did it, Rob. On a scale of 1 to 10... At the moment when you said, I know, it's 4.30 in the morning. I have to be to work in five and a half hours. Let's watch The Last Unicorn. On a scale of 1 to 10, eh, exactly how drunk would you say you were? Oh, boy. Be honest. Gosh, I, I've just had, it, it sounds like I have a problem. I've just had it like a mm -hmm. busy couple of days. I won't think, I won't <laughs> think less of you. Last week, I didn't even go out hardly. Uh-huh. But uh, like I had a, I've had a couple nights in a row. Uh-huh. I've kind of 
<laughs> I went to this, this bar where they have a short shorts night. Uh-huh. So there were like all these men running around in like tiny shorts. It was very strange. What kind of bar do you? What kind of bars do you go to? I don't know. And then went to like yeah this fancy after hours club and uh, yeah and then uh, hung out with my friend Jessica and watched the last unicorn. So on a scale of one to ten, when you put in the last unicorn at four thirty, you would have been how drunk in your uh, honest estimation, Sarah Dillon? Well, all they served at the after hours club was whiskey. What's well, not traffic and lies? Okay, no, I was. I was just moderately, moderately. Moderately drunk. You'd say six? But, uh, yeah, I'd say like a six. Uh-huh. But you know what? I woke up on time, you know, washed my face, brushed my teeth, and rode my bike to work like a champ. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay, here we go. All right. Do we have, okay, so you remember the uh, the Sarah Palin joke. Uh, what's the difference between a hockey mom and a pit bull? Lipstick. Nah. What do we have? Barack Obama saying Tim Riley? Let, let, let's just list this for a second. John McCain says he's about change, too. Except, and, and so I guess his whole angle is, watch out, George Bush, except for economic policy, health care policy, tax policy, education policy, foreign policy, and Carl Rove. Oh, for the love of God, are you kidding me? I'm sorry. You know, and I had it open over here, and I just closed it. Here we go. All right. We're really... I'm sorry, my computer is just not... Uh-huh. It's going to shake things up in Washington. That's not change. That's that's just calling some the. Would you like me to find it, Tim? No, I have it. It just won't clearly. Okay. Same thing, something different. But you know you can't. You know you you can put. Uh, Would you just lipstick on a pig? Thanks, Tim. There you go. That's the <laughs> CBS. That's the CBS News Department. <laughs> oh, we are so classy. Well, you can. Oh well, my you, God! You can please push, tell me. Uh, that. Well, anyway, so there you go. Please tell me that he was alluding to calling Sarah Palin a pig. Let's move on from trying to play that soundbite, Tim. That doesn't seem to be wor- on a scale of one to ten. That seems to be working. Put, uh, Not at all. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So anyway, so so what you what you heard there was, but anyway, so so Obama's given the speech yesterday, and he says this you can last night. you can. Uh, where was he speaking yesterday? Was it yesterday? Virginia. It was yesterday in Virginia, and so Obama says you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig, <laughs> which is great. I mean, and I, and I don't know whether it's a reference to Sarah Palin or not. Of but course, it's a reference to Sarah Palin. I'm going to choose to believe that it is, uh, only because that makes our jobs much more interesting. So a little bit of fantastic news that came out. And so everybody's kind of all up in arms about it and everything. So it, just when the election seemed like it was going to become dull for a while, it seemed like they were going to be laying off, like they, they, they were just going to be pulling back and being very sort of low-key about the whole thing. It looks as though the dust-up may have begun anew. So simply from an entertainment vantage point, I find it to be incredibly entertaining. Other things going on. Uh, three horses roam the streets of southeast Portland. A stolen car graveyard is discovered in a canvas lake. Feces is dumped in the healing garden. Larry Craig, case goes back to court. They're trying to fight and bring back his good name. Uh, an experiment will allow Mexican trucks to drive into the USA has ended. <laughs> Haven't, hasn't that been an experiment which has been going on sort of underneath the radar forever? Well, uh, apparently they, uh, Oregon Representative Peter DePazio wrote a bill that everyone's passing out. This is a really bad idea. Yeah. So, And the Florida man is... Crushed by a train while retrieving his hat. Wow. It's the best day ever. 
Except for him. It's 503-733-2970. Would you like to try to play that again, Tim? Uh, no. Let me try it over here. No. <laughs> well, let's just list this for a second. John McCain says he's about change, too. Policy, foreign policy. Skip ahead to the good part here. And Karl Rove-style politics. We're really going to shake things up in Washington. That's not change. Find the money line here. That's, that's just calling some the same thing something different. But, you know, you can't, you know, you, you can put a lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig. See, what, what leads oh, me to believe, genius. what makes me think it's intentional is the little pause there. It's the because for effect, yeah, because he was because he was letting it sink in, right? But you, and you're totally right, Tim. It is the it is the planned spontaneity. In other words, it sounds as though he's being kind of folksy, and I'm just saying, you know, like they and it's it's like that homespun country wisdom, mm -hmm. one of those aphorisms, uh, you know, the, the you know the, the just the, the, the you know the, the good good salt of the earth uh, folk use, and so it's the fact that he pauses when he says, you can put lipstick on a pig. And he waits for it to sink in. It's called the science of listener attention. It, he waits for it to sink in with the audience, and then he comes back with a sort of the follow-up hook. That's fantastic. We're going to ask Lisa about that. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Good morning to you, sir. You're setting the tone for the entire show. Please don't be terrible. Hey, Rick. Uh, yeah, with uh, uh, Barack Obama, you know, they're taking off the gloves, but they're doing it in a classy manner like Steed on the Avengers. Yeah. But anyway, uh, what's the gig with the uh, rant? How do you mean, I sir? called, I asked Richie, and I says, you know, hey, well, you got a different line for this, or do you record them, or whatever? And he's like, I don't know. No, no, no. This will, I know there's a news flash for you, but we will be uh, we will be taking the calls on this, the regular call-in line throughout the day. Uh, as folks call in, we will uh, try to get to a few of those, uh, you know, every hour, every segment or whatever when we can. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, the best rant as solely selected by we, the Rick Emerson cast and crew, uh, will score the grand prize, my friend. That'll be uh, throughout the day on this very phone line. Okay, so Richie knows how to do this then. Well, you know, I tell Richie things and then sort of uh, like a leaky oil pan, sometimes those are left behind on the mental road behind him. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. All right. All Thank right. you. Thank you. All right, there you go. All right, so it's just, um, I'm just saying, it's going to be a good day. I can sense all of this. Uh, real briefly about the Shield last night. So the Shield uh, is coming back strong. There was a lot of people saying that the first episode of the final season, the Shield was a little too, it didn't quite have the payoff, didn't have the punch. It wasn't quite as powerful as it has been in the last uh, couple of years. But i got to say, man, as of last night, they're really, man, they're back on the game, those guys. It's, uh, it's quite exceptional. So we will talk more about that later on with Peter Carlin. Also, I don't know if anybody else is having this problem. This isn't the thing of like, because I was talking about the standing water in my bathroom sink, and this is sort of related to that because I got all this. Lauren, I've got this whole thing where we started because we're just overgrown children, not unlike Sarah, and and really not at all like Tim. Sarah, you know, Sarah and I are very similar in that even as adults, we just tend to live like sort of slovenly dorm kids. And so, Lara and I are really trying to get a handle on this and trying to live like actual grown-ups. And the house just kind of, it sort of falls into sort of disrepair and chaos and messiness. And then we get really, really sort of irritated at it. And we'll spend about nine hours on a Saturday cleaning the house until it's back to normal. And then we forget to clean it again or we neglect to clean it again and then it just becomes horrible again. So, what we've decided to do is to make it easier on us. We've just split up the household chores. So, she is handling all the dishes, everything related to cooking. Uh, in other words, cleaning dishes, putting dishes away, washing all the stuff, from, like making dinner. She's handling all of that. I am taking out the trash, and I am keeping the bathroom clean. So that's how we're going to split it 
sort of down the middle so we can try to address everything. So as part of that, A, I'm going to go home and i got to find myself a bucket because I'm going to do that thing. Because, again, this morning I was trying to shave and then I'm running the water for about 30 seconds until I get my shave on. And then I look and the sink has got about eight inches of water in it, which then doesn't drain. And then it just sits there and becomes filthy. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to take out the U-joint of the sink tonight to try to clean that. And then i got to go back home and get on uh, insect patrol because they're not... I got these flies that have invaded the kitchen, and they're not the fruit fly things that are sort of around the kitchen sink when you got standing water. Because we've talked about that before, especially here in Portland during the summer. If you have like plates or dishes or something that are not quite clean, or you got water in your kitchen sink that doesn't drain, and you get these tiny little gnat-like flies, and these are not those. These are sort of they're like um, they're either like really big gnats or they're like really tiny moths. They're one of the two. And they're moths, and I hate to be gross about this, but they're kind of like moths in the sense that when you swat them, they leave that weird powdery residue behind on the wall. You know what I'm talking about? You know, like when you swat a moth, they leave that weird powder on the wall? I, I've never swatted a moth. So I, I haven't either. You know, you, I don't understand you people sometimes. Tim has never cut himself shaving. You've never swatted a moth. You have presumably lived on the same planet as my, as we, and you've lived in the same country as I do for like uh, however many decades. How can you have lived to be however old you are, 39, and have never swatted a moth? I've never come in contact with one. That's a lie. That is just a lie. You've never I've, come... I've never had a moth in the house. Are you an android? No. I live in a mothless home. But you've never encountered a you've moth? You've never come into contact with a moth. Not in my house. I'm sure I have outdoors. Right. Well, in any event. So I got these weird moth things in the kitchen. And so... Uh, and, they, and they're sort of centered around one of our food pantries. And they become a real pain. And they're just kind of gross. It's not that like attacking you. Being what flies in the house. It's just disgusting. And it makes you feel like you're in one of those. It makes you feel like Sally Struthers ought to be standing next to you trying to get food for your, for your benefit. So I'm trying to get rid of the moths. And so I do that thing of go, I go to the store and I buy the, buy the whatever, the bug, bug bomb thing. You know, the little the spray thing that you set off in the kitchen and then you leave the house for four hours. And so I get it, and my whole plan is to bring Max to work. You know, Lars working. My whole plan is to set the sort of bug fogger off in the kitchen, bring Max to work because they can't be around that, and it takes like four hours. And then by the time I go home, everything is dead. So I'm getting ready to set it off. I've laid newspaper out in the middle of the kitchen. I've covered, like, exposed food or, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm getting ready to set it off, and just as I'm reaching in to press the button to turn on the kitchen fogger, I read on the back where it says... Be sure that all fans, electronic devices, air conditioners, and refrigerators are turned off. Because if your refrigerator kicks on the cooling cycle while the bug fogger is going off, yes, your entire house will explode. And so as I'm, as I'm getting ready to push the button, I'm having these images of me ending up as a news story on my own program because I'm dead. Because my house in southeast Portland has exploded because I disregarded the instructions on the back of the bug fogger. And my house went up in one big fireball because the refrigerator decided to kick on and cool something. So I ended up not being able to use the bug fogger. But I can't take the insects one more day because every time I go to get some macaroni out of the cupboard, I get the... <laughs> and there's very few things that trigger the human revulsion cycle, like the sound of a fly buzzing near your ear. It's like you ever try to nap outside or you're in a hammock or a lawn chair or something, and you're sitting there and you're trying to snooze, and you get, then you get the flying thing that comes by your head going... <laughs> and it just makes you feel hideous and unclean. So what do I do? Because I can't set up the bug bomb, I just reach underneath the sink and I get the raid flying insect like can that you spray by yourself. And so I put Max in the office. I close the office door because I don't want him breathing all the insecticide. 
And so then I'm just walking through the kitchen like Robert Duvall walking through Apocalypse Now and just gassing every single insect, every single creeping thing, crawling thing, flying thing, everything that's segmented or has more than two eyes, it's all just getting the, the raid fog from me. And as I'm doing this, I realize that it has fundamentally the same effect as setting off the bug fogger because there's so many freaking insects flying around my kitchen that I'm just, I reach a certain point where I'm not even turning off, like I'm not even letting go of the button. I'm just walking through the kitchen with the can of Raid going just from one section of my kitchen to the other. And at one point I step back to sort of like as an alpha male to take in exactly how effective my, my killing spree of the insects has been. And I realize that the kitchen just looks like London at about 3 a.m. I mean, it's just waves of fog everywhere. And then I realize that, A, I'm sitting there in the kitchen just breathing in something which, by definition, is designed to kill living organisms. And, B, I have filled the kitchen again with this substance that is apparently highly flammable. And then my eyes just do the slow, like Ren and Stimpy, turn to the refrigerator. And at that moment, I can see the whole thing in my head, where the refrigerator decides we need more ice, it turns on the cooling cycle. There's a spark. The entire kitchen catches fire. I'm running down the street ablaze like Richard Pryor. And then you guys are talking about and laughing at my demise the next day. I sometimes think about that when I'm doing things. I'm like, am I going to be a Darwin watch tomorrow? Yeah. So just one, fear. This is one weird night, man. Anyway. Uh, well, let's get some of these calls, and then we'll, uh, then we'll take a break. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. No, you're cracking me up. That's what I do, hey. sir. Hey. I had the kitchen moth deal, and I think 90% chance you've got uh, some cereal box you've hid from Laura that you forgot about. That's entirely likely. Because uh, that's what they we had a cereal box fall down the side of the fridge, and that's where they nest. Okay, now we have a box of Triscuits that fell down between the fridge and the wall that I've never removed. Could this be the problem? 100%. Uh, see, but do you know the moths a, I'm talking about? A whole about? box of triscuits. Yeah, yeah. well, but, you but it's... when they leave that gray goo on the wall. Exactly, but they're everywhere. There's hundreds of them. And again, I, I don't want to set the house on fire by using the bug bomber. And the thing about the bug bomb is, you set it off, and then by definition, you must leave the residence, which means that were a fire to break out, I couldn't stop it. So instead, I'm just walking through. Uh, I'm walking through um, uh, like Surf Boy with a flamethrower in Vietnam, just. Just laying down the suppressive fire everywhere in my kitchen. And then, of course, just realizing that I'm coating my lungs with this stuff that, by definition, is designed to snuff the life out of God's living creatures. Well, next time, just use hairspray and a lighter. All right. Thank you. Bye. No, it's, I got this box of Triscuits that I was keeping on top of the fridge. And at one point, I went to get it late at night, and I knocked it down. And it's between the fridge and the wall. And the fridge weighs like 10,000 pounds. What am I gonna, how am I supposed to get it out? And it wedged... You're, you're... Fridge is pretty mobile, though. I mean, I can move my fridge. My fridge is huge. It's heavy. Uh, like yeah, it's full, like of, it's full of big, fat American food. Okay, and, yeah, my, my fridge is totally empty, which is why I think... <laughs> and it's this frustrating thing where the fridge is just far enough from the wall that the Triscuits fell down, but close enough to the wall that the Triscuit box is now wedged there. So I couldn't get it out with, like, a yardstick, because I tried. God, I'm lame. Uh, we'll do one more, and then we'll take a break. We'll come back with uh, Steve Kastenbaum. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, it's me. What's up? Um, are these little uh, uh, moths about, uh, let's see, three quarters of an inch yes. to a half inch? Yes, and they're uh, dark, dark uh, gray, almost black. Yeah, dude, you're doomed. Um, basically, he, the last caller was right. At some point, you drug it in with a box of cereal, flour, whatever. Basically, in order to get the only way to get rid of these things 
is because they nest in any sort of flour, any sort of cereal, any sort of crackers. you got to pitch everything that's in a box because you're going to start noticing in some of your boxes a strange sort of webbing, uh. not to gross you out. So you basically have to pitch everything and then keep all of your cereal, your flour, your all that kind of cooking stuff yeah. in Tupperware containers for a couple of months until they finally die off and go away. And, yeah, you're doomed because it's a pain in the absolute tail feathers to get rid of those things once you get them. Well, that's great. Just um, have a good day. Thank you, sir. My house is filled with xenomorphs. Take a break. Back after this with Steve Castabell. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. You're just minutes away from Tim Riley's new news hour. This is the Rick Emerson Show, only on AM 970. The Talker. Planet Earth is covered with babbling fools, misguided nitwits who make your daily existence an unbearable, excruciating exercise in barely contained hostility. At AM 970, we feel your pain. We know that you crave something better out of life, surroundings, and your entertainment. So tune in. Keep. Rick Emerson Radio Program. Uh, it's 503-733-3970. Anyway. All right. Well, the lightning-fast CBS Internet connection seems to be back to normal now. Lucky for us, it was screwing up just as we were trying to play a soundbite, but immediately after we stopped trying to play the soundbite, it went back to normal. So that's good. Just, that's not uh, change. That's, that's just calling some the same thing something different. But, you know, you can't... You know, you, you can put... Uh, Lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig. That's fantastic. Oh, that is so rich. It's 503-733-2970. And the great thing, we'll get the phone calls here in just a moment. Steve Kastenbaum, theoretically joining us? Maybe? Possibly? I just read him an email and I haven't heard from him. Answer cloudy. Try again. Later on, Lisa Desjardins. Uh, we'll talk to Mr. Skin, uh, Peter Carlin, and we're going to take your 60-second rants throughout the day. At 503-733-2970, a 60-second rant on any topic of your choosing. End of the day, best rant uh, goes to see Dennis Miller live this Saturday, as well as overnight accommodations at Spirit Mountain Casino. Um, what was my point? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, but when I hear Barack Obama making that observation about, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig, I immediately think of Rowdy Rowdy Piper in They Live when he's in the department store and he sees the woman with the skull face. and he's ah, Lady, that's like putting perfume on a pig. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. We used to have those same moths that you're talking about, mm -hmm. and uh, you don't you don't have to spray poison around the house. They have these great little. Um, it's kind of like the equivalent of to the Roach Motel. It's just like this little paper tent, and you just set it up, and the moths just fly right in there, and it's non-toxic to humans, and uh, they're awesome. They work like a charm. You just put like a few out around the kitchen, but then that other guy was was uh, getting close too. Um, you do want to switch over. We switched over everything to glass containers with mm -hmm. the uh, the rubber seals, and th those moths cannot get through there. Now, I would say we have uh, largely, and then I say we, my wife did this, because uh, she's way more forward-thinking, but I, because she's an adult and I'm a child. Uh, but she has either, like, the really hardcore Tupperware-sealed things or the glass with the sort of vacuum seal lid. But that being said, 
I think we may have put our finger on the problem when I re- revealed that there was, in fact, a full box of Triscuits that fell behind the refrigerator, and it's wedged. Here's the other great thing about it. You realize it's just one of those sort of uh, it's one of those great little coincidences that has worked in the favor of the insect world because the Triscuit box, I don't even know how this would happen. I guess my walls are uneven because the Triscuit box is on top of the fridge. I'm reaching for the Triscuits or quite possibly something else at one point, frosted flakes perhaps, and I knock the Triscuit box over. It falls down between the refrigerator and the wall, but get this, it doesn't go all the way to the bottom. It wedges itself halfway down. So halfway between the top of the refrigerator and the floor, the Triscuit box is jammed between the fridge and the wall. I mean, and, and it's just far back enough that I can't reach it. And by trying to get it out with a yardstick, I have, of course, only succeeded in pushing it in further. It is though God created the whole thing as some sort of Gordian knot just to screw with me. Sounds about right. All right. Thank hey, you. Listen, yes? Thanks, Rick. We love the show, man. Thank you, my friend. All Bye-bye. right. There you go. Uh, there's email sitting now. People are just sending me pictures of moths. Rick, do your moths look like this? It's the Indian meal moth. Let's click on it right now, shall we? Let's see how long this particular Internet-based thing takes to work. That's totally it. Let me see. It is the Indian meal moth. All right, mine are a little bit darker than this, but it does look like this. Oh, I've seen those. Yeah, but imagine, okay, now imagine like 500 of those. Every time I go in because I want some oh. snack wells, there's a thing. That's gross. I've seen those before in one of my old apartments. Yeah. I had those. Uh, and they do look all like powdery and weird. The, the email continues, of course. If this is the moth you have, you are screwed. We can't get rid of them, and we've been battling them for years. Even threw everything in our pantry out. We bought new glass sealable containers, and they even got into those. Then they send out... Uh, then they send out little grubs that crawl on the walls and ceiling. <laughs> Signed, good luck with that. Thank you, ass. Uh, all right, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello? Hello, it's you, sir. Hi. Hi, this is Dan in Portland. Yeah, your last email covered it pretty well, but I have some real-life experience with, with um, these moth things. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's not it's it's not pretty. Um, it started out just like you said. You just it's sort of a random sighting, and then and then we started seeing these little larvae up where the wall meets the ceiling. I don't like the word larvae. The word larvae is uniquely horrifying to me. Well, let's see. How about a uh, a, a sort of moth-like chrysalis? Chrysalis isn't any better. Why don't you just say maggots? You just skip to the bottom of the page and say we found moth maggots everywhere. Well, they yeah, they're not they're not technically maggots, oh. but yeah. So we, so we 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 started doing some some uh, searching around, and sure enough, the pantry, all of the all of the oat-based stuff, all of the oatmeal, all of the cereal, all of the rice they had invaded, and we had to throw away hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of food. You know, this is like that thing we had the other day about the woman who was claiming that there was some mouse running around the theater, and I was making the point that, you know, nature at every single moment and at every turn is doing everything it can to take over. Yes. I mean, you turn your back for a second, and nature will kill you dead or at least fill your house with a bunch of flying grubs. Jesus. Right. I hope it has an advanced. I hope for your sake it has an advanced yeah. stage, but it was, it, was, it was bad, man. But you it know, might be a good chance to, uh, you know, sort of, Update your um, your your culinary repertoire. You know, can I tell you this? Let me just uh, let me just make a prediction right now. First of all, the only way to get rid of this is to nuke it from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Secondly, my wife will find a way to use this as a reason that we need to buy a new house. I'm telling you right now that this it'll all come back to this day. This is the this is the tiny acorn from which the oak of. Well, maybe if we just bought a house in Tim's neighborhood, this wouldn't happen. That's and that's going to be your fault somehow. Yeah, exa- well, everything is, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. All right, there you go. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. 
Hey, I wanted to call and tell you that the uh, fly trick that you were talking about, yes. I think yesterday the day before, works beautifully. Um, you know what I'm talking about? No, I. You said that the flies, when they take off, they jump straight up in the air. So you put your hands over them and clap. The of and... a fly, the fly clapping trick. Yes. Yes, it that fly trick. Two flies dead as of yesterday. But my other thing I wanted to call about was, I was wondering about Tim's reaction when you talked about bugs in the house, because if he's never in his 39 years had a moth in his house. Well, it's just a weird thing. It's like that time he said he'd never cut himself shaving, which just seems impossible. Oh, I agree. So I was just wondering what his gut reaction was on how he uh, thinks that, you know. Well, your home life. <laughs> I think that the, I think that Tim lives in some sort of uh, some sort of international space station, like that guy in the movie Contact, and then he's beamed down from there. You know what I mean? Oh, all right. Um, but, I just so to recap, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry if I sounded confused early. A, I thought you were talking about the kitchen situation with the flying things I have now. Oh, gotcha. And then I was sort of distracted by the fact that Steve Kastenbaum is on the phone, and we're going to have to be very brief with him because we got Lisa calling him, whatever. But um, awesome. so you're saying you you used my trick of clapping your hands directly above the fly, and the fly sensed the hand movement, flew up in response to a threat, and then was killed by your hands, and it was satisfying because you used the fly's own defenses against it. All right. I'm glad it was everything you thought it would be. What is your name? This is Jen. All right, Jen. Thank you so much. You call us anytime. Thanks, special ever. Thank you. All right. Let's now welcome to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City, CNN radio correspondent, Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, Steve. Hey, how you doing? My apologies for being a little late here. That's okay. My apologies in advance. It's going to be, have to be a, a brief segment. Uh, Lisa's going to be calling us here in a few, and I don't wish to incur the wrath of Tyler. I hear you. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. All right. Um, the only reason I wanted to, to bring this up today is because it's one of those things, sort of like uh, the O.J. Simpson case, that you, it kind of falls out of your brain. You forgot it even existed. But it, then it sort of gets brought back, and you realize that it's probably been going on this whole time. So I'd forgotten all about the word Enron, and then it was on the, 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 it was on the CNN prep sheet today. Are they still – please tell me they're still putting guys in prison for that. <laughs> there are some folks behind bars, but uh, big settlement, the largest one in U.S. history – $7.2 billion in the lawsuit against Enron to be paid out to all of those shareholders, anywhere between $6.79 per share of common stock that you might have owned mm -hmm. to $168.50 per share of preferred stock. But Enron went bankrupt, you know, years ago, right? So so who pays the bill here? Well, settlement includes payments uh, from banks like J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup, and others. All right. So uh, really, I mean, this – this would have been a great opportunity. We've missed it, but this would have been a great opportunity just to bring back public stocks and flogging. <laughs> That's a really good idea. I think that would have been uh, very much appreciated by a lot of people. They, in, instead of putting them in jail, just bring the Enron executives out into Times Square and flog them. I'm telling you right now, it, it really, one of the candidates starts to get demonstrably behind in the general election. They ought to make it part of their platform that anybody who is convicted of white-collar fra uh, fraud exceeding an amount of $1 billion – they will be given whatever the jail sentence, whatever the time, whatever the fine, and then uh, they're going to get like three hours in the public square where everybody will be able to uh, see them flogged and hurl rotten tomatoes at them. I'm telling I, you right I, now, that'll work. I don't work. think you'd have a lot of people opposed to that at all. You would not, sir. It's because Rick Emerson knows what the American electorate responds to. Mm-hmm. Right. true. All right. Sorry about the uh, confusion today. We will undoubtedly talk to you in the very near future. Enjoy your New York afternoon, sir. Thank you. The fault was entirely mine. So long. Thank you, my friend Steve Kastenbaum. All right. Sorry for the uh, confusion. You and I were sort of doing a little uh, a little facial tag there. No, no, it's fine because you told me that we weren't taking him, so I was writing him that we weren't taking him. Yeah, I was going to said that you were. I'm like, I was going to okay, preemptively oh, head that off at the pass, but once he was already on hold, yeah. it was Steve. Where she's like, Steve Katz, I'm there and ready to talk, Rick. And I was like, I didn't want to sort of uh, 
I didn't want. It's like it's like trying to. Uh, no offense, Steve. It's like trying to cancel a blind date or something. But then, like, then before you get a chance to, you know, to cancel the date, just the. Hello. It's in the. Uh, I'm, well, I'm here for your date. Then you're like, ah, damn. Now I just have to do it. Now the only hope is to go to dinner and then fake that I have a business emergency I have to leave for. Uh, uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello, is this Rick? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. Uh, hi, how are you? This is uh, Masood calling, and I listen to your show every single day, and I'm addicted. And I just wanted to give you some uh, some uh, some tips about the Indian moth, because I have some Indian background myself. All right, and so now, please forgive the dumb question. Now, is the Indian moth actually from India? It is from India. All yes, right, it is from India. We had it for like six months, and, and you know, believe me, we had to bag everything in the kitchen put it in a Ziploc bag, and it took like six months for all those suckers to just die off. So would you recommend, based on your experience, would you recommend taking all my food, putting it in a Ziploc bag, or, or maybe even uh, uh, sticking it somewhere else, like finding like a, like a little, like, a, like an ice chest or something, putting it all in there, and then absolutely just like gassing the entire house, and then when I put the food back, put it, leave it in those sealed containers, and then wait for their life cycle to expire? Yeah, yeah, you could do that, absolutely. We didn't try the gassing. We didn't try the gassing at all, but uh, I think that's a good idea. I mean, re really, I have to tell you, I'm going to give it like one or two more solid tries, and if it doesn't work, I'm just going to bite the bullet, and I'm going to open the yellow pages and find an exterminating guy just to come to the house and go through it inch by inch, because there are a few things more disgusting than like in the morning or at night, you're going to the kitchen for a snack, and then there's a bunch of small flying things that are like landing on your face while you're trying to get some, some triscuits out of the cupboard. It's just, it's uniquely uh, revolting. Exactly, and I've been there, done that, you know, and maybe I can understand those moths because I have the same background myself. <laughs> I don't know. Well, all right, but, then. I mean, <laughs> uh, all right, I'm not how, a moth, but... <laughs> how, uh, how'd you discover the program, my friend? Oh, I, you know, just a uh, coincidence. I was listening, tuning to the channels, and, uh, you know, I was like, wow, this guy sounds really funny, you know? I thought you were from the East Coast first, and then I said... And I've lived in New York for quite a while. Mm -hmm. you've, got some, you have, you've got an excellent sense of humor. I love your show. And ever since that, like for the last six months, I've been listening to it every single awesome. day. Well, thank you, my friend. Uh, please spread the word. You have a very good day, sir. <laughs> you enjoy. Have a very good day. Thank you. Oh, wow. That's Masood. All right, there you go. Fantastic. This is already the best show it's like ever. It's the, the craziest day already. It's a fantastic day is what it is, Sarah. It sure is. I mean, one of the best days we've ever had. All right. Let's all take a breath, shall we? Do you have any soothing music you can play for like 10 seconds? I don't have that zen, uh, thank you. You are insane. <laughs> I'm not insane. I'm trying to keep the program centered. You're doing great. Things, uh, things started off a little rough this morning. Uh, as a five-second soundbite took four minutes to not play. <laughs> uh, followed by, uh, my breakdown about the moths in my kitchen. Followed by Steve calling us ten minutes late. From, you know, from which we recovered. Followed by... From the Hill, CNN radio correspondent to the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello there, how are you today? Hello. How are, how's your day going on a scale of 1 to 10? I gotta say, it's pretty, it's solid. I'm kind of, I'm scared I'm gonna jinx it. No, 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 it's, uh, it, it's okay. You know what, we're taking all the lumps over here on this side. Okay, apparently. Uh, we are sort of the, uh, as Jim Goad would say, we've become a little bit of the, uh... 
a little bit of the bad magnet over here today. So anything that was floating around in the universe that might have maybe uh, screwed up or put a stick in the spokes of your broadcast today or any anything you were going to be doing that might have gone wrong, we have become over a, there. a black hole absorbing all of that bad today. Wow. Is that a particle collider reference? No, no. Really what it was is I was going to say we were like some sort of radio sin eater. Wow. That's your only sin eater reference for the week, by the way. Nobody else does that. Only There's Rick. Nobody. That might be might be for the rest of the year. That's a uh, that's very a, likely perhaps for the rest of my life. That's a Rick Emerson exclusive right there. <laughs> All right. I don't I don't even know I don't even know where to begin. Make things right. How can I make things right? No, no, no. Everything is fantastic. You know why everything is fantastic? No, why? Because no matter uh, no matter how uh, lackluster, dull, uninteresting this election might seem at moments. I mean, there are times, and I was talking to a friend of mine uh, this morning about this. He said that just a few days ago he was all amped up. It seemed like it was going to be just a fantastic election in terms of entertainment value and spectacle. Yes. And he felt over the last 72 hours it had sort of settled into the Democrats doing what they always do, uh, which is just the, 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 you know hiding in a hole somewhere and then coming out to see if there's shadows there. And then we had this great uh, lipstick on a pig remark. And I don't know if it's intentional. I don't know if it's a backhanded reference. But if, just for the sake of amusement, I'm going to assume and operate under the, uh, the premise that it was said with at least two meanings intended. And it certainly has triggered all kinds of uh, response. Yeah, it's interesting. You're, okay, now, are you operating under that premise because you want it to be that way or because you think it is that well, way? Well, a little bit of both, actually. Let's, let's, first of all, let's have no illusions about the fact that I do want it to be that way. Yeah. Because I root for the bad and the evil in all circumstances and in every moment. So I, uh, I pull for discord. I pull for strife. I and apparently for... it has found you. Yes. And, you know, but the thing is I conjure it like Beetlejuice. Yeah. So, but let me also say this, and I don't, I'm not the, not like, I, not like I'm some silver-tongued orator like the days of old. I'm no Mario Cuomo or nothing, but I will say this. I have spent the better part of my life uh, working with words, and I don't mean that in any sort of high-minded way, but you know, I talk for a living, uh, doing the radio show. I've done my fair share of on-stage stuff, speaking mm -hmm. to crowds, mm -hmm. talking to people on the phone. I know a little bit about how words are used, how they're put together, and as Lisa Simpson would say, what the spaces between the notes sound like. And so what indicates to me, and Sarah really hit this this morning too, what indicates to me that this Barack Obama thing is, is supposed to have uh, a little bit of a Rorschach quality to it is not that he says, you can put lipstick on a pig but it's still a pig. It is that he says, you can put lipstick on a pig. Pause for audience reaction. But it's still a pig. It's the beat that he puts in there. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm trying to see something where it, where, it, where it doesn't exist. Maybe I'm reading a tea leaf that isn't Louis even Louis in the cup. Yeah. But I'm saying that pause right there indicates to me that as a, as a speaker, he knew it was a laugh-slash-reaction line, which means the line was written and scripted and prepared, which means that it was looked at by him and at least one other person, probably a couple other people, which means you would have to believe that none of the people in that room working on the speech made the connection that we all instantly made. And I find that premise to be unbelievable. It's a tricky one. I mean, it's one of those, he, he probably should have known, you know, if he didn't mean it that way. Although this is the man that routinely does mix up states and cities and whether he's president or senator or, you know, he, he routinely kind of mixes up his words and, doesn't really uh, doesn't indicate that he is always thinking about every 
uh, detail of what he says. He seems to kind of get into trouble with his words sometimes. But you, you would think, you know, I was talking to Jason about this last night, and he, he said, well, if he didn't mean it, he sure should have known that, that he shouldn't have said it. Well, that's my thing. You're left with only one of two scenarios. One is he knew what he was saying, and it was a little bit of a shiv between the fifth and sixth ribs. Or two... You know, he didn't know what he was saying, in which case, you know, that does make you wonder about his on the on the stump, off the cuff speeching, uh, speech, speechifying style, because, because, again, we all immediately heard it. And so you know, it seems like he should have as well. And he does seem like a very skilled uh, deliverer of speeches. I like to say skilled order, but he does. He does have the, the goofs. He has a lot of goofs on the campaign trail. I have no idea. When I first heard this thing, um, I and I to this to this moment, I think this is all blown way out of proportion. Uh, I, I think that this is I, – I do think Obama had a good line today about this being a distraction. Of course, that is what everybody will say when you're in the hot seat. But I, I do think this kind of, you know, puts us out into the place where you want us to be, you know, that, that crazy carnival land of politics – uh, where I, which I'm completely not comfortable with, and it drives me nuts. I I know, and I know that you are. I know that you and I are perhaps polar twins uh, to some degree. <laughs> yes, maybe. Uh, we are perhaps negative images of one another. Uh, <laughs> I'm reading a great book right now by Mark Halperin uh, called "The Way to Win," and it's a whole uh, analysis of uh, of the evolution of campaigning from the old school of campaigning until you know up through. Um, Bill Clinton up through Kerry and Swift Boat, and essentially how campaigns have gotten much dirtier and they become much more of a street fight, and they've used a lot of the non-conventional media uh, to accomplish what they could never have accomplished through the mainstream media. And they they term it freak show politics, uh, and I and I do like that label a lot, and that's a little bit of what's what's happening here. I gotta say, I I really do. I go back to that great moment Obama had in the primaries when he made that visual Jay Z reference. If you remember what I'm talking about. Yes, yes. Where he said, you just got it, and then he did the brushed off. dirt off your shoulder thing, which I don't even think he actually said the words. He just made this gesture that is like a direct lift from a Jay-Z video. And obviously, stuff like that, to my mind, is done because, it, uh, it, because again, it's a Rorschach. You know? Somebody doesn't know who Jay-Z is. Uh, is going to look at that, and gonna, you know, they either won't register it; it'll be innocuous. Somebody who is, uh, you know, who knows Jay Z or is a hip hop fan or comes from that generation or that, uh, you know, sort of versed in that culture, they're going to see it, and they're going to see something entirely different with a similar but different meaning. Same thing with the Sarah Palin, you know, the, the, the perhaps reference to Sarah Palin. You know, people who don't make that connection, it doesn't even register. People who make the connection, he gets extra points. I think he's I think he's a little more skilled on this than people are giving him credit for. You know, I don't know. I, I think that I think that if if this was intended, I think this just riles up the Republican base of, and even more. I'm not sure that it helps. Oh, him. you know what? The sun was... the sun coming up and oxygen rile up the Republican base. I mean, no, I don't know. McCain was the anti-Republican base. Yeah, he was sort of the tums to the Republican base you know, for a while. I got to tell now, you, now they are ready to go. They they anything, especially Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin is their girl. They love her, and, I, and a lot of it, some independents love her very much as well. So he's he's got to be careful with that. I have to tell you, just from my this, as somebody who receives uh, an endless litany of forwards and chain mails from my incredibly repressed mother-in-law and father-in-law in Utah, I, I got to tell you, I don't really know that the base of either party needs a lot of additional riling up. Probably true. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're just sort of they are just sort of in that state. So uh, all right, um, a few other things. Um, yes. Ah, Jesus, I don't even know where to start. It's been forever since we've talked. It's been I mean, forever. It's been forever. What else is happening, sort of, in the election cycle that I'm that I'm ignoring in favor of just dirt and scum and grime and filth? Uh, 
you know, I, I wish I could say there was a ton, but there's not much. Uh, Palin and McCain are still campaigning together. Uh, she's got her interview with ABC. It'll be her first kind of at-length interview. Uh, everyone's eager to see what Charlie Gibson asks her, how she responds, that kind of thing. But, you know, they, it was interesting. They actually had an event in Fairfax, Virginia, um, next town over from my hometown today. It was scheduled to be at Fairfax High School. But, uh, you know, Fairfax is known for having overly involved parents, as I can testify as someone who just whose bus driver hated her because my bus driver hated my mother, uh-huh. um, that basically parents apparently called in from all over the county saying, you're having a political event during school? And uh, probably no coincidence, a lot of these uh, parents, Democrats, very likely. Right. So, you know, anyway, they had to move this big, giant event. Uh, that was a little bit of a scuttlebutt around here to a park. Uh, but, but that's really it. It's really this one remark, and the reason everyone keeps talking about this one Obama remark is because there's not too much going on out there. Both candidates are basically leaning on their stump speeches, as is Sarah Palin. She's really sticking to the exact same script, more or less, from the convention. So that's why I think everyone's really eager to see uh, what happens in this interview. Uh, I don't know. If you, do, do you have to skedaddle, or do you have a minute? No, I've got, I've got a minute. I've got a minute. All right, then let me, let me bring up uh, one observation and then one suggestion, because it's what I do. Okay. My observation would be... Be, and I guess I'll follow it up by asking if you think I'm correct. In your objective assessment, do, does it seem to you as though since the uh, given the ascendance of Sarah Palin, that the Democrats have sort of they pulled back and they're trying to not pay attention to her in, in the hopes that they won't fan those flames anymore? Um, hmm. Seems like they've ratcheted down the rhetoric directed at the Republican ticket, period. Maybe, maybe. I, you know, I think that it's hard to compare the two because the Democrats, Republicans are just such a complete, you know, they, they are in fifth gear compared to Democrats, maybe second or third gear in terms of going on the attack. Right. I mean, this is what Republicans are great at. They, they feel really comfortable doing this. They, they feel that they are right and the other guy is wrong, and they, they love to point it out. Democrats, I think, are less comfortable about that. They're, they're more comfortable talking about, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton obviously was, was very good at those kinds of contrasts, but I think Democrats have never been as good at Republicans. So it's hard, it's hard to compare. Um, even the conventions, Democrats all were not as on the attack as Republicans. Uh, I don't know. I, I think, Maybe they've toned it down a little bit. I think I think Joe Biden has certainly gone out of his way to say complimentary things about about Sarah Palin. Not everything he said has been complimentary, but he's gone out of his way to say she's very impressive. You know, I, when I debate her, I'm going to have to debate her with a lot of respect and and those kinds of things. And maybe your theory holds true there. I don't know. I, I don't feel it so much, but maybe. I feel like I mean, it's just my gut sense that the Democrats have this idea in their head. Well, first of all, Democrats cling to this fiction that they will win elections because they have better ideas. Uh, which, of course, is... Which Republicans, you know, some Republicans uh, that as well. I suppose, but the Republicans also realize that you've got to have a guy out there with a leather sap who's just going to kneecap the guy. They want to win to win. Yeah, yeah. and, and them, Democrats are very high-minded. Well, we're not going to traffic in this sort of character assassination, which is, you know, and the Democrats will always, they do this thing, the, the Clinton years accepted, Democrats will do this thing of telling you how great their moral victory was as they're sort of packing up their stuff to get out because they lost. <laughs> So uh, it just it seems to me like they will they are unwilling to acknowledge that the game has changed. It's no longer about McCain. For now, it is about Sarah Palin. And the Democrats don't seem to acknowledge that fact. They seem to be wanting to either make it about themselves, in which case they will lose, or to try to make it about McCain again, which isn't going to work, and they're going to lose. Well, they, I think they don't know how to go after her yet, and I, I think that's right. I think I think she is still um, an unknown quantity. She has enormous positive press from the last two weeks in general, and despite everything. I think she still has 
um, people see her very positively, and I think Democrats are right to be careful here. No. She's, it's not clear. I think, I think they're waiting to see. Man, but you know, she's like, the, after she's like this tree in the forest, and the Democrats have just decided to pretend that she, you know, that they didn't hear her, therefore she's, you know, she didn't fall. And <laughs> I would also say, in my opinion, yeah. This idea that you got to hit the enemy where they're weakest, uh, you know, and in, in the opinion of the Democrats, that does seem to be John McCain or his uh, association with George Bush. You know, that's just a, it's a bunch of uh, it's a bunch of bupkis, as my grandmother would say. You you got to hit the enemy where they are strongest. Right. The idea that you attack where they're that's weak is just Democrats, silly. That's what Republicans do, too. Hitting, yeah. hitting Barack Obama on the huge crowds that he draws, hitting Barack Obama on those things that make him strong. You know, his speaking ability, in fact, they've tried to make that a weakness. The, the Republicans know how to do it, and that is you find the enemy's strength and you hit them where they are the most fortified. See John Kerry, by the way. I mean, John Kerry's greatest single asset, war hero. And the you know the Republicans did what would seem insane, which is to attack him on, on that front, and that's, they just decimated that guy. Um, you know, behind the scenes, what I think is interesting, and it, as a reporter covering these two conventions and having covered John McCain going back to 2000, is at the convention you saw so clearly how John McCain has decided he wants to win. Oh, yeah. And that he is now, that you know, tactics and strategies that he, that he kind of uh, really looked down on, if not, you know, out and out criticized before, he's now employing them, or at least people are, he's allowing people to employ them in his name. And, and it, it's very, his, this campaign is so different from any other John McCain campaign. It, it really is being run essentially by a lot of, um, and I'm, I'm not trying to say he's the same as George Bush. I know there's that whole argument, but but the truth is that his campaign uh, is being run by a lot of George Bush folks, a lot of George Bush strategists, and in fact, Sarah Palin, her main advisors come from the Bush camp, uh, which is one reason conservatives conservatives right. like that. But it's just a really it's a it's a significant shift. In strategy for John McCain, that's for sure. Uh, one yeah, small but, observation, uh, then one small suggestion, then we gotta, then we gotta run. Okay. Uh, my observation, John McCain is like a band that gets tired of never selling records, so he just decides to sit down and write the big crossover ballad. Uh, but of course, once you do that, then that's all you find yourself doing over and over again. <laughs> Secondly, like uh, my final thing for today on KCMD Portland, a CBS radio station, See? my final thing is, I made the suggestion yesterday, you pass this along to whoever you want. Okay. Here's a great thing, because they've started making that, they've made, started making that Sarah Palin doll you can buy now. It's yeah. like a Sarah Palin action figure. Somebody, some Democratic uh, operative needs to create, probably not enough time to do it in real life, maybe you make it like a little flash animation on a website. You create a Sarah Palin doll online, like a talking Tina thing where you pull the string and it talks, but, so the first time you pull the Sarah Palin doll string, it says, I'm for the bridge to nowhere. Then the second time you pull it, it says, I'm against the bridge to nowhere. <laughs> then the third time you pull it, it says, you know, it says something about like, uh, you know, it says something about cutting, about cutting funding for teen mothers. Then the fourth time it just talks in tongues. I'm telling you right now. You, I can't believe no. I, I think somebody, I hope someone is listening to that idea because I think Democrats would love it. I'm telling you, man, there's, uh, there's too much genius here for me to do it all. i got to hand it off to somebody. All right, Lisa, thank you so much. Sorry about the kerfuffle today. We will talk no, to you very soon. It's great to be a part of it. All right, thank you. Bye. Hello, Tim Riley. I was uh, talking to Kristen in the uh, lunchroom. I thought I heard out of the corner of my head my name being mentioned. Oh, about moths and suburbs. Oh. So somebody else was calling in, and they were uh, they were wondering. It was more of that how you live in a place where the air is sweet, and the the children are you know the children are above average, and the streets are filled with lollipop trees and gumdrop shrubs. And meanwhile, I'm in Southeast Portland, where everything gets set on fire, and I've got 500 insects in my house. So uh, my other observation was that uh, you mark my words that 
my wife will use uh, this huge sort of infestation of hideous insects in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. She will use that as an excuse to uh, buy a house somewhere in your neighborhood. You just, I'm telling you right now, Tim. It's only a matter of time. Yes, it is, Tim. Yes, it is. Ladies and gentlemen, kneel before him. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. New time is brought to you by Life's Auto Collision Center. Finest collision repair, go to Life's.com. What else Life's can do for you? Three wild horses roam the streets of southeast Portland. Yes, this before a woman and police corralled them into a, a church playground. They were called to Southeast 92nd Avenue and Clinton Street shortly after 4.20 this morning. When they arrived, three horses emerged from a dark alley and marched up Powell Boulevard. They followed the horses into a church parking lot where a woman managed to round up one of the horses into a playground area. She locked the gate and the owner of the horses showed up to collect the animals. The owner said somebody opened up the horse's gate. So apparently there are horses living in your neighborhood. You know, I've, I've stopped being surprised at things that happen in my neighborhood. I mean, it's just... It Horses. Doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense. That ha- Again, that doesn't happen where you live. No. You've got, you've got peacocks. I, you, did, I did see some llamas when I was riding my bike the other day. In your neighborhood? Like, were they were they fenced down? Like, were they pet llamas? Yes. It was a, an estate. Oh, so they were in yes, a yard? Llama, it was a llama pasture. That also sounds like a punchline to something. <laughs> llama pasture. Pasture llama. No, I got nothing. All right. Well, there you go. So you have llamas, and I have horses running amok and kicking things over. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's Tim Riley. So what about that guy who was beaten to death in the Mexican jail? Now we know more. Uh, now they have several witnesses that could prove critical in building a murder case against the police officers. I mean, like they'd ever be brought to justice in Mexico. Uh, Sam Botner was arrested August 27th in the parking lot of a beachfront condominium for pulling a knife during a fight with another guest. So they uh, they hunt him away, and apparently they beat him to death. And now we have some results from the autopsy. A doctor examined him in custody and noted two wounds. And the autopsy showed where he'd been beaten. The attorney general also said a toxicology report shows that Botner, the victim, had cocaine and meth in his bloodstream, but no alcohol. Four policemen and two officers at the station who had contact with him are in custody pending the outcome of the investigation. Now, are these Mexican police officials? Yes, all right, well, I mean, yeah, but nothing's ever going to come of that. Not Mexico, no. No, I mean, really. Hey, whatever happened to, uh, whatever happened to, what's his name, the former trailblazer guy that uh, died in the hotel room with some girl? Remember that we had this sort of like a I week ago? That. Two weeks ago? You were you were right here. Probably, I don't remember. You were gone. You were you were out of town. It was um it was uh, the week that Krista was here. Um, it, Duckworth. Yeah, that was his name. Remember that guy? Oh yeah. yeah. He was at the coast and he was dead. Yeah, that's where he went away. Somebody was uh, in the hotel room. Uh, apparently not, not Mrs. Duckworth. Wife. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some uh, the, uh, we should have a name for that. Not wife was in the room with him. Mm-hmm. Not wife, uh, by the way, does seem to be appearing in more and more news stories lately. But So not wife was in the room with him, uh, I guess, allegedly. Miss not wife. Miss not wife. Miss, uh... Oh, never mind. Anyway, well, so we never really... That just sort of happened and then it was gone. And they never really... Yeah. Uh, they never really elaborated on that. They did not know. It was as though someone asked that the story not be pursued. I'm not saying that, of course. And so it was. Yeah, here's Tim Riley. In a stinging defeat to the Bush administration, the U.S. House has overwhelmingly passed a bill written by Oregon Democratic Representative Peter DeFazio that ends an experiment that allowed large trucks to cross the Mexican border with few or no restrictions. This was a 395-18 to veto-proof vote. 
That is a strong vindication of uh, the belief that the Bush administration failed to show that they could accurately uh, inspect the Mexican carriers. Now, I never saw one, so probably they only made it like two miles past the border before breaking down. The Mexican (laughs) tracks apparently didn't make it very far. And um, it's all for free trade, you know. Uh Free trade. Yes. That means everybody works for free, usually the way that works. Uh, Another bicycle accident. A bicyclist has life-threatening injuries after he was uh, struck by a car in southeast. Apparently, a Subaru driven by 24-year-old Stuart Brown was turning left into a restaurant parking lot when it was hit by a cyclist riding in a bike lane. No citation has been issued. The investigation continues. The uh, cyclist is 19 years old. He was transferred to OHSU with life-threatening injuries. But the doctors think he uh, can survive. Uh, investigators uh, say neither speed nor impairment were factors in the collision, but the stopped vehicles may have blocked the view of either the motorist or the bicyclist, so I guess that could happen. A guy from the coup was charged with being drunk when he was involved in a hit-and-run that sent a woman to a hospital with multiple serious injuries. They say 23-year-old Joaquin Francisco was uh, speeding along State Route 500 near Northeast 54th Avenue shortly before midnight when he swore to avoid a car that had stopped in a uh, four red light in front of him. When he pulled into the other lane, he hit 17-year-old Maria Peskovab and uh, sent her car sliding through the intersection. So apparently the passenger, uh, uh, the driver has serious neck, chest, and back injuries. A man uh, hopped into a police cruiser with the lights flashing and took off early this morning. Good for him. Leading I mean, off, you know, it's wrong and all, but... Leading officers on a high-speed chase in Monmouth. They eventually stopped the car and captured the driver. The police cruiser had been running with the keys inside, emergency lights flashing, because the officer who drove it was conducting a traffic stop. During the chase, the police cruiser hit two parked cars and sped down the main street. <laughs> I think Monmouth is actually dry, too. I don't think you can drink there. Mm-hmm. So, just goes to show, kids, you don't need alcohol to have a good time. The suspect is 19-year-old Kiyoki Orsimo. He jumped and ran toward a friend's house. They were able to catch up to him after a short I'm sure the track. friend appreciates that, too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kiyoki, what are you doing here? What are the cops? Hey, get off me! They tasered him. Of course. Charges include reckless driving, looting police, resisting arrest. He was also driving drunk. That's a good friend, by the way, who will drunk drive, steal a police car, and then lead the cops to your house. That really is a... Yes, seriously. Protect me. Save me. That's a a bosom pal is what that is. Uh, All right. Um, Let's see. Do we want something about bugs or something about pigs and lipstick? Either, really. They're all the same, aren't they? Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello there. Is that me? Yes, it is. Hello. Hi. Okay, you know, I'm just calling about that lipstick and pig thing because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I must used to say that all the time. And no, it's a common saying. Nobody's saying yeah. it's not. Yeah, it, and then John McCain said it three months ago. It was on CNN yeah. last night. I know. Well, I know. And, and Obama has said it in the past, and McCain has said it, and my mom used to say it all the time. But I think my thing is, like, I'm not saying that like he that he made the phrase up just about Sarah Palin. I don't think anybody's saying that's true. But I guess my my... My point, and the point that Lisa was sort of alluding to, although she doesn't necessarily think it's the case, is that obviously everybody, including Barack Obama, watched Sarah Palin's speech. Everybody remembers that joke. Everybody remembers the line. And so it does seem like a thing that he ought to have known would be taken as a reference to her. Only by people that are stupid and didn't know it was said before. Well, okay. There's no need to be confrontational about it. I guess my whole thing is I believe that almost nothing in politics happens by accident. Well, uh, speaking of that, I was thinking, you know, uh, now as far as uh, Bush getting into the war with the WMDs and all that, yes. oh, wow. what about Ugh. as far as the re-election process? Well, let me uh, pull up you, a chair. Who do you want running your country, uh, Les Nessman or Tony Soprano? 
You see, they could be reelected just simply because we got into that war. <sighs> are these? Oh, let me. Are these all rhetorical questions, or is this like, are you honing an act for for like a nightclub somewhere? No, no, no. But I was, I just got that idea just a few minutes ago. As far as once you get into a war, who do you want to fight your battles? Well, Republicans are fighters, so let's just keep reelecting Republicans. It's just something I. I'm myself. unclear if these are statements or questions. Well, anyway, also the. Uh, uh, no, you know we're 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 you done. All right, yeah, thank like, you. Seriously, it's too early. To, yeah, and it's like not even yeah. having a conversation. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. It's too early in the morning. I don't do shrill until 1 p.m. Right now is only moderately irritated. Shrill is I don't know 42 minutes from now. Wow. All right. <clears throat> Here's Tim Riley. Gresham has a new police chief. He's from Huntington Beach, California. What a switch this is. That's in the O.C., by the way. It's a nice place, and now he's in Gresham. Uh, Kurt uh, Jungjinger is expected to join the Gresham Police Department in December. The city manager said Jungjinger was selected from a nationwide search. Probably a, a blank box ad, maybe. The Gresham Police Department says <laughs> he has Top 50 in... market seeks police guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, he served in Huntington Beach since 1985. What a change this is going to be! All right. Oh, by the way, so that uh, so he is from the hood of our uh, our listener Trevor, uh, who uh, listens to us and has been listening to us a long time uh, in Huntington Beach. Hello, Trevor. So wait, so he's going to take over what gig? Uh, the Gresham Chief of Police. All right. From Huntington Beach. Oh, apparently. Uh, <laughs> he's training up for the surf and sand of Gresham. Seriously, I mean, what would possibly be your motivation from leaving for leaving Huntington Beach or coming to Gresham? I mean, can the pay be that much better? I mean, you more knew more about Huntington Beach than I do. No, it's a beautiful place. It's I mean, surf city, USA. Really, wait, can the differential really be that substantial? Well, whatever. Uh, oh, by the way, so somebody's clarifying. So I guess so. Apparently, uh, Kevin was it Kevin Duckworth, Johnny Duckworth? Yes, yeah, Kevin Duckworth. Apparently, he wasn't married. So, but we are still then correct in saying it was not Mrs. Duckworth. Correct. It was a woman of unknown provenance. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's uh, Tim Riley. Uh, apartment walls melt after kids start a fire in Vancouver. This is a brush fire ignited by the kids playing with matches spread to an apartment complex. They arrived at 16801 Southeast 1st Street. They saw the flame shooting higher than the apartment building. Three of the boys were playing matches nearby and set the field on fire. The entire siding along one side of the apartment complex melted. Fire crews are just happy it wasn't worse. Uh, they're warning that fire season is uh, still active. And, of course, kids with matches are always active. Matches are not toys. No. Plastic bags are toys. <clears throat> Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, uh, just a quick thing for your uh, Indian mill moth problem. Yes. Uh, your best thing to do is get some pheromone traps. Um, that'll draw your um, moth up out of there, and it'll catch those. Now, is um, this the, are these the traps the guy was talking about earlier where they're like roach motels? Uh, yeah, they're similar. Um, they're bigger, and then they uh, have like a little nipple-type thing in there that's uh, <laughs> got pheromone in it, <laughs> and it attracts them. All right. First of all, Pheromones are just uh, incredibly interesting to me. I find pheromones really fascinating. Uh, not just because of that old Bloodhound Gang episode where they tried to make a ghost out of a sheet that was dipped in pheromones that attracted moths at night and it was lit up by a flashlight. Uh, pheromones are, and plus also, here's the other reason that guys are fascinated by pheromones, because every guy at one point in his life has had a subscription to a magazine that sold bottles of pheromones in the back that they claimed attracted women without them even knowing it. And it was like, the, it was like a bottle of, like Richie would buy these. Wait, hold on. Richie's typing in the screen. He has bought these. All right. Let's, let's all not be surprised. But it's like a little bottle of cologne, but it's not cologne. It is allegedly human pheromone that you put on yourself, and women can't smell it, like, consciously or whatever, but they sort of unconsciously smell it, and then they're attracted to you because pheromones are what you put off when you're wanting to mate or whatever. So that, But that's what this is. Yeah. All right. Um, excellent. 
one other thing. Uh, you're going to want to go through all your food, even the food that's not been opened. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, you you have a dog, so you're going to want to go through your dog food as well. Oh, well, that's the other thing. The dog food, we don't keep the dog food sealed all the time. It's in a Tupperware thing, but sometimes we don't close it up. Yeah, basically uh. what happened is it came from the manufacturer with eggs in it, and now your eggs is half, uh. and now you have more. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. So basically what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to treat my house like one of those toilets in Seattle where you close it up and then power washing happens inside. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, there you go. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you. All right, much Bye. obliged. All right. There you go. I really do appreciate all the tips for this because it's just it's not like those fruit flies in the sink because I know how to get rid of those. First of all, you you know, you clean and you put all your crap away. And no standing water. No standing water. And then they die out for the life cycle of the fruit flies, like 48 hours. But somebody, the life cycle, why is it the life cycle? You know, my ants, uh, in my ant farm, my ants that I adored, uh, you know, their life cycle is like a month. These stupid moths in my kitchen, they last for like six months and apparently can't be gotten rid of. It's just, they, they have to, uh, there's just no way to make them leave. What if the ants got more exercise? Would they live longer? Well, you know, I, what I wish I'd done is I wish I, I wish I still could have somehow um, unleashed the ants against the moths. Uh, but that's too late for the ants. The ants are at the end of the, they're at the end of the ant road. But, um, but I, uh, I wish I could have done that. Maybe I could do this. This will be like that Simpsons episode where they had, what is it? They had like some kind of frog that took over the town, and so they imported a bird to kill the frog, and then they had to import like a, like a, like a leopard to kill the bird. And everything, like everything they brought in just took over the town, and then they had to bring in something else to get rid of it. What I should do is I should try to find some sort of, I should try to find some sort of man-aligned spider, and then bring the spiders into the house to get rid of the flies. And then my whole house becomes like a reality nature program. That doesn't sound like the best idea, Rick. It's observations yeah, like that that make that, me love you. Maybe that needs to be reshot. <laughs> I can just see your, your house crawling with all kinds of insects. It was just the way you muck. said it. It was just like it was just like the inflection and the delivery you had on that just now. When it was like sort of fatigue and like sort of annoyance, but like concern, like for maybe like a like for a sweet no, but retarded I can child. Really see you doing that? I can see you like unleashing all these like crazy insects in your house to kill the moths. The kitchen of Dr. Moreau. And you have to adopt a bunch of cats to eat the spiders, and then <sighs> dogs to eat the cats. I'm telling you right now, if I had the money to live somewhere else, I'd do it anyway and just keep a camera running, and then I'd charge people to watch it online. <sighs> I love this show. Here's Tim Riley. I think we all do. Yes, we do. So five stolen cars have been plucked from the Lacamas River. This is in Camas. With the water level low this time of the year, boaters can buy nearly anything they want in this lake. Police say one of the cars is partially visible to a passing boater, boater leaving the cops on a, in a dive team to begin removing the stolen cars. So apparently, I guess all the, uh, the locals know this. If you want to report your car stolen, let it go in this lake. So uh, they're digging out all these cars. And it's just, and they, how many were there? They're not saying how many. So they just so it's like the end of Psycho or whatever, where they're just uh, they go into the oh, lake yeah, and that's, that's a spooky. When they're pulling the, uh, you know, I I wouldn't even hurt a fly. And then they go to the uh, they go to the thing of pulling the car out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's now described as a stolen car graveyard. Oh, that's freaky. Mm-hmm. See stuff like that. We've talked about this a lot on the show. That stuff under the water that shouldn't be there What's is that terrifying. Story the, about the crane. The guy diving in the quarry and there's a crane at the bottom. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you know, and you think about this. Okay, can I just. Can I make, like, the biggest nerd reference of the week? Sure. There was this episode of The Man from Atlantis starring Patrick Duffy, TV's Patrick Duffy, and he was on some, I don't even remember how this happened, you know, and please don't call about this, I don't care that much. Only call if you're going to shrilly yell at me about about the election cycle, like beyond the point of anybody caring. Um, 
but there was some episode of The Man from Atlantis, and now that I think about it, what the hell was the plot of that show? Did it take place on Earth? I never watched it. You never watched Patrick Duffy in no, The Man from Atlantis? Yet. No, it's another thing I haven't done. Tim, you are so unrelatable to the common person. You've never had a contact with a moth. You've never cut yourself shaving. You never watched The Man from Atlantis. Who I, are you, Tim? I, Who I, is Tim Riley, if I that is your real name? I'm not a common person. Oh, all right. What's Seems, The Man from Atlantis? Somebody, somebody, yeah, but she's like 12. I mean, what's, what's <laughs> your excuse? <laughs> Sarah's 12 and drunk. She can't be expected to answer anything. Not anymore. Uh-huh. Drunk 12-year-old girl was <laughs> It's part of our outreach and EEO program. Thanks, Rick. You're very sweet. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, it sounds like somebody needs to be spoken to by the House Un-American Activities Committee, Tim Riley. Or should I say, uh, Riley Stan? Um, the, um... So please explain to us, now that we've gone this far... <sighs> I bet I can find some other people who have never watched the... Uh... See, I thought you said that if two out of three of us didn't <laughs> agree with something in the room, then... But this isn't like... agreeing with something. Well, this well, is hearing well, about something. Well, it's I'm different. Curious. This is not like we're voting on an opinion. This is a television show that you could not reasonably have been expected to have seen. When was it on? Because it was on in the early 80s, and I don't think it's been out on DVD because it's crap. It could have been out of time when I didn't have a television. Well, it's possible. I mean, I went through decades with no furniture and, and sleeping on the floor with no blankets. <laughs> Was that when you lived? Uh, was that when you lived abroad, Comrade Riley? <laughs> yes. Was that when you were living on a uh, some sort of a, a kibitz somewhere? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. The Man from Atlantis, Tim and Sarah, was a program. You know, I don't even care. Somebody, did he, did somebody, he have, did he have webbed feet and gills? He did. He did. He had he had webbed feet and gills. See, you have seen it, or are you just bluffing? No, I've never seen it. I'm so tired. So. <laughs> So very. So how long was this program on? It's a, it was a short-lived American science fiction television series. <laughs> I bet it was. Yes, yes, it was. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. Hold on. Was a second. there a girl from Atlantis? Wait, also? hold on a second. Uh, and then a dog from Atlantis. Richie, do we have something to give away today? Yeah. <laughs> Can you answer in a complete sentence today? Uh, today, what do we have to give away, Richie? You know, we're owned by one of the largest companies on Earth. Yes. Fools. Well, let's just take all the time we need. <laughs> bodyguard. What? Bodyguard. What? Bodyguard. Oh, all right. Uh, all right. We're going to take, Richie, the first caller here at 503-733-2970. We're going to take the first caller that can adequately explain, uh, to my satisfaction, keep in mind I don't really remember anything about it, so it's all relative, the premise... Uh, behind Man from Atlantis, starring TV's Patrick Duffy. It's 503-733-2970. And do you realize I'm only I'm doing a contest so I can get a caller to explain the Man from Atlantis only because I wanted to make a Man from Atlantis analogy when talking about stolen cars. That really is what this show has devolved to. Okay, that's fine. It's 503-733-2970. We're, we're not even we're not going to take caller five. We're not going to take caller twelve. We're going to take the first caller. Uh, and you will win a copy of The Bodyguard and Bodyguard 2, a double feature starring Tony Jaa on DVD, in stores now separately, or as a double feature from Magnolia Home Entertainment. All right, I'm just going to take the first call. Hi, can you explain the premise behind The Man from Atlantis, sir or madam? Uh, no, actually I can't. That's not what I called about, and All I'm right. very sorry about that. All right, that. I have to go back on hold then. Hold on. Hi, you're on The Rick Emerson Show. Can you... Sweet Zombie Jesus, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Can you explain the premise behind The Man from Atlantis with TV's Patrick Duffy? Yes, I can. Go ahead. Okay. 
they find Patrick Duffy underwater. He's a man that lives underwater. Yes. And uh, they, I, I think that they, they had to teach him English, but, uh, but they turned him into a secret agent. So he's, a, he's, he's some kind of secret agent that also uh, can, can swim. He is an amphibious man. A lot. Can, he can swim and breathe underwater because, again, he is the last surviving, uh, whatever, the last surviving citizen of, citizen of the lost continent of Atlantis. And like everybody had to do in the 80s, he used his ability to fight crime. Yes. There you and, go. And, and when I was a child, I used to try to swim like him because he, he swam in this really freakish way. Uh-huh. And? And I failed miserably. All right, there you go. Well, you know, you've succeeded fantastically without winning a copy of the Bodyguard Double Feature DVD. I'm going to put you back on hold. Thank you, sir. Richie, can you talk to line three? He wins a copy of the Bodyguard and Bodyguard 2 starring Tony Jaw. Available now from Magnolia Home Entertainment. All right, do we all know now the premise behind Man from Atlantis? Yes. The yes. last surviving citizen of the continent of Atlantis, the government finds him. He can breathe on land and in underwater, although I think he dries out quickly on land, and he has to stay in a tank a lot. Because I think if he's on land for more than an hour, he dries out. Because I think there was this episode, and this is a live-action show, by the way, that was on a major network. I think it was on CBS. Um there was an episode where some bad guys caught him, and they wouldn't let him get back to water, and he's all like, I'm drying out. <laughs> it was just so retarded. I'm drying out. And he had to, like, get back to a tank, and he jumped into a bird bath or something. Um, but there was this episode of The Man from Atlantis. Wow, it's been a long road to get to this statement. <laughs> it's been, like, 25 minutes. Jesus, this is what we do better than anybody, Sarah. Sadly enough. I'm sorry, I'm just a drunk 12-year-old. Yes, <laughs> it's true. Hey, you know what? I don't have the excuse of being drunk or 12. I'm a 35-year-old sober man, and I sound like a... Middle-aged. Sound like a nitwit. I've been watching YouTube clips of The Man from Atlantis, and it looks like the most ridiculous show. We should go to the break with the opening theme, if you can find it. I, I, you know, I found it, and the sound is not working, so I'm, I'm trying no, to find another that's one. That's hard to believe. All right, anyway, there was, this, there was this episode of The Man from Atlantis, though, and I don't remember how this happened, because I do believe he was on Earth, but where he fell into some parallel world... And in this parallel world, this is the freakiest thing. And you'll see why I've been fascinated by this since I was about nine years old. This image from the man from Atlantis, there's two things from that show that stayed with me. One is an episode where he had to fight a giant jellyfish. Because jellyfish are terrifying. I find jellyfish really freaky. Because, like, don't you think about jellyfish sometimes when you're in the water and you realize that, like, they don't really attack you. You get the feeling they're just suddenly there and you're stung without knowing it. Yeah. And plus, growing up, like, anywhere near the water, you're always taught that jellyfish can kill you, which doesn't really seem possible. That doesn't seem like a thing that's true. No. But they always teach you jellyfish can kill you. So there's this episode where he had to fight a jellyfish. No lie, it was like 100 feet across, which was terrifying. But there's this episode of The Man from Atlantis where he goes into a parallel world, and this image, you stay with me forever, and in this world, water is, wait for it, wet, invisible, meaning when you see the ocean, it's just a huge canyon. That's cool. See, that's what I'm saying. That was fascinating, like, with the story of Moses imparting the sea, like when it seemed walking on the, on the ocean floor. Wasn't this payoff kind of worth it? In this world, you'd look at a river, and the riverbed would be there, and you, it would be a big trench for the river, but the water itself was invisible. Water was it's completely invisible, not just clear, but actually couldn't be seen. And so that image has always stayed with me. Uh, from when I was a kid, I remember that episode, because I have always wished that I could sort of, you know, that you could sort of see, like, the ocean that way, because... Things like a lake filled with stolen cars. And, you know, do you realize this? Here's a fun fact. Do you know that occasionally, this is so creepy, it makes me, it gives me chills even to think about it. Do you know that when they were out looking for the Titanic uh, back in the 80s, before Robert Ballard found the Titanic, do you know that occasionally they'd be kind of scanning the ocean bed for the Titanic and they would see 
out of the gloom, they would suddenly see, like, dozens of cars on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean because they'd be transporting them on an ocean liner, uh, and there'd be an accident or a storm, and a big platform of cars, brand new cars, would be swept off the ship and would sink to the bottom of the ocean. Well, that something like that happened here recently where the ship tilted. And all the cars got waterlogged. It was someplace off of Washington, I believe. And they have to secure those really well now because occasionally, like Toyota, would just lose a hundred cars in the middle of the ocean, like not by shore, in the middle of the freaking ocean, and they would sink to the bottom. And Robert Ballard would be like, you know, every now and again we'd be dragging the ocean floor with our sonar, and we'd see a bunch of metal, and it would just be a river, like an, an ocean bed, like an ocean, whatever you call it, like a whole platform in the bottom of the ocean, a plane. Filled with dozens and dozens of brand new cars sitting on the bottom of the ocean. Terrifies me even to think about it. So this episode of Man from Atlantis, where the water was invisible, always fascinated me. Because what would you be? What would you give to go to just a big river and just for like ten minutes be able to like see the bottom of it and see everything that's there? You know, you know some guy wearing his concrete shoes and so forth. All right. I mean, just like the Seattle, like the Puget Sound, I think about that. I think about the stuff that's at the bottom of the Seattle, the, the Puget Sound in Seattle, and it terrifies me. I mean, I don't know why, but I, when I'm in Seattle, you're no, down the pier, oh. you look down there, and it freaks me out, man. I, okay, I have a story, but when I lived in Seattle, my um, parents' friend had a boat, and we would uh, ride around the boat in Lake Washington, or whatever that, that lake is, right, right outside of Seattle, right. we boats and stuff, and he had this radar thing on his boat <laughs> where you could, where it, it senses the bottom of the ocean, Terrified and, already. You could also, and it shows pictures of like things underneath the bottom of the ocean, freaking and you can see... Outlines of like boats on the, on the bottom of uh, like Washington. Oh, that terrifies me. And then me. like I, I was swimming in there one time, and something brushed against my leg, and I've never been back in that. Oh, uh, uh, no! The, the, I find that I find that you should get one of those radar things. It would keep you awake. At thank night. you. No, I yeah, I find that you know when I'm in Seattle, I find the Puget Sound to be uniquely terrifying. I don't know. Like, oh, it's the so biggest, the biggest uh, squid in the world lives there. Oh, uh, see, why do you ever say that? Underneath the Tacoma Narrows uh, Bridge. And it's, like, so gross, and it's cloudy and filled with crap. I have a friend of mine. This is the final thing I'll say about it. Then we'll do some news, and I swear to God, we'll uh, we'll get, get caught up here in a second. And then we'll play the man from Atlantis thing. Um, I have a friend of mine who has this recurring fantasy of getting scuba diving gear, and he wants to go scuba diving to the bottom of the Puget Sound. What's wrong with him? Well, here's why. It's kind of cool, actually, because the Edgewater Hotel is there, and the deal about the Edgewater Hotel is you used to be able to fish out the window. Like, there's a big picture of the Beatles fishing out the window of the hotel. Led oh, Zepp- yeah. I went by that. Yeah. I was taking the Seattle Underground tour. Exactly. Yeah, and you used to be in the lobby of the Edgewater. You could rent fishing gear, and it was like a big... Like, I don't think you could do it now because people like were falling out of the window or whatever. But you, but you could sit there in your hotel room and fish out the window of the Edgewater Hotel into the sound. And, like I said, Zeppelin did it, and... Zeppelin fans will know that some other less savory activities happened at the Edgewater Hotel. Uh, but at one point, because they trash hotel rooms because they were rock stars, Jimmy Page took, uh, I think, two or three cases of Dom Perignon and threw them out his window, and they sank to the bottom of the uh, the bottom of the sound. And a friend of mine is a Zeppelin fanatic who has always wanted to scuba dive to the bottom and see if any of those Dom Perignon cases that J- Jimmy Page threw out are still at the bottom. Huh. Which is kind of cool. I would never do it because it terrifies me. But see, now we're getting nothing but a bank full of terrifying bottom of the sea stories. Oh, sons of bitches! Um, so we're gonna take a break and we'll get caught up, and then Tim will get to do news because I ran amok with my man from Atlantis. Well, I hope so. you have some octopus stories too, because those are always terrifying. Those scare me the most. Well, we've got jellyfish and somebody with a military story from the bottom of the ocean. Ooh. All right, we'll be back with Tim Riley. His news. Your. Wow. Your phone calls and more. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere. Is this the opening theme of The Man from Atlantis? The theme from Man from Atlantis. 
terrible show. Yeah, webbed feet and toes. I'm watching this right now. It's, it, he looks retarded, doesn't he? Back after this. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Now it's nothing but scary phone calls, nothing but scary pictures, nothing but scary emails like this one. Rick, there's an immense lake in Nebraska. Lake, not Matthew, McConaughey. That was formed by, wait for it. They formed this lake by flooding an entire town. When the water's low, you can see some of the old structures underwater. There you go. Thanks so much for that. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see if we have. Um, uh, no, no. I'm just. These are all just too. These are all just too unnerving to read. Uh, let's do a couple calls and we will resume the news uh, with Tim Riley. Hello, hi. You're on the Rick Emerson show. Is that me? It is you, sir. Hello. Rick, hi. Hi, hey. Sarah, Tim. Hello. Hey. hey. You guys were talking about stuff on the bottom of the ocean, and it yes. brought back a memory of my dad, who was in World War II. At the end of the war, they like told everybody we're going to have target practice. And they turned their guns around, and they were towing tanks and half-tracks and jeeps and equipment for the guys at the end, and they sank the entire convoy. And my dad said this happened like twice, so there's our government hard at work. So they sank it all, and then it presumably just all just stayed there at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, it's down at the bottom of the ocean. It's like, geez, you know, what a waste that was. I, I think... It just made me, when you guys were talking about stuff, it sparked that memory. And I could be wrong about this, but I think they did that with... Um... Not the Manhattan Project. The uh, the um, what's the thing I wanted? To, whatever it is, where they set off a nuclear weapon or an atom bomb in the ocean. They did an atomic test in the middle of the ocean, and uh-huh. it was ringed by a bunch of U.S. ships, which I think they then sunk because they were too radioactive to be towed back right. to shore. Yeah, yeah, so not only sunk, yeah. they're actually big radioactive ships at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> there's that too. So it's just a wonderful whirlpool of stuff. Thank you, my friend. Anyhow, good show. Thank you, sir. Call us anytime. One more, then we'll resume the news. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, how's hey. it going, guys? What's up? Well, um, you were talking about, like, the jellyfish that you said that were, like, 70 feet long yeah. and stuff like that to be scared of. The one to really be scared of is the one over in Australia called the Irukandji. Have you heard about this thing? No. It's, like, smaller than, like, your pinky nail, I guess. It's, like, sometimes microscopic. And what it does is it, if it gets a hold of you, it shoots these little barbs into you that will cause death. Um, and essentially, uh, if you don't die from it, you are in excruciating pain for at least 24 hours from it. There's like a show on Discovery Channel called uh, Killer Jellyfish. Uh, to get a chance, you can watch or avoid it at, at your leisure, of course, you know. You know, the thing is I'm, e- I'm torn equally between those two poles of watch or avoid. All right, yeah. Killer Jellyfish. I'm all over that. Yeah, and the other thing is, is the, down there in Australia, they also have this thing called Architeuthis. Uh, that's where they're prevalent anyway. It's like the giant squids. Have you heard about those? Uh, they're, like, they're like, they think they're uh, between 60 and 70 feet oh, long. Come on. <laughs> yeah, 
they, they, the only reason they knew they existed was because they found them in the guts of whales that have been whaled, you know. That's that's the only reason they knew they existed. They, they'd never seen one live before, but it's just, uh, There's this, Australia's just a continent to avoid. I mean, just stay the hell away from there. Criminals and squid. All right, thank you. Yeah, have a I, good one. I think, all right, there you go. Here's Tim Riley. Wow. Okay, so we have a little bit more in the story about the Mazda vessel carrying 5,000 new Mazdas listed on its side off the coast of Alaska and was transported to Portland, ready and offloaded. The cars were perfectly fine, and they were securely strapped down, and the hull of the ship was waterproof. But Mazda's legal department couldn't justify the risk of selling the car, so somebody had an accident to sue them because the car was from this vessel. So Mazda figured that rather than exporting them or bring them into the country and paying millions of dollars in duty for the merchandise they did not sell... The cars are being transported two miles down the road to be made into scrap and 5,000 brand new cars. So to do this, the U.S. Customs uh, says the operator will slash the tires, break all the windows, remove the stereo, slash all the seats, destroying the car. The vehicles are then loaded onto a conveyor and shredded to pieces the size of a baseball. Wow. You know, that shredding of cars is where, you know, they have that will it blend. And I think there's that, I think there's actually some knockoff called will it shred or something like that where they, because, you know, they have... Like a shredder that is made for like a Cadillac. Uh, was it? Now wait, was this on? Was this on the news or was this on a scripted like a cop show? I can't remember. It, it seems like I saw something on television where there was like taking some uh, the car from some kid because he 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 would he was like the cops had seized the car because he was a drug dealer. He drunk he drunk drive, drove or something. And the cops took his Cadillac, and they just they took him to the scrapyard, and they made him watch as they shredded his Cadillac, which is so deeply satisfying. And I can't remember now if that was, like, on a fictitious show or if that was a thing they actually do in some community. But they have some little, like, bastard there watching as the cops take his ride, and they put it into a shredder. And the, the cop just goes, all right there, a drinky McDrive, watch this. And then his Cadillac is just being shredded. Oh, it's wonderful. All right, here's uh, Tim Riley. So uh, let's move along to this. Everybody's heard the Barack lipstick comment already. And so he's uh, he's slamming John McKay for what he calls this made-up controversy. He says comments he made yesterday about the pig being a pig, even if you put out lipstick, were aimed at McCain's economic policies, not at McCain's running mate, uh, Sarah Palin. So everybody should just stop it. But I love this country too much to let them take over another election with lies and phony outrage and swift vote politics. Enough is enough. I know that Lisa's disappointed in me for uh, for rooting for evil and all that, no. but I mean, I was I was talking to Lara about this last night, and you know, and, and she's still sort of, she's still sort of, it's sort of it's sort of sweet that she kind of clings to this clings to this idea of the uh, of the functional government and the two party system and you know whatever, and I, I said, well, you know, if that's the case, then you really ought to be hoping that he meant it. Because, really, if the Democrats want to win this, they got to start swinging, man. Yeah. Because the Republicans are busy taking them apart at the seams. I mean, the Republicans, they, the Republicans are like Kaiser Soze. They will kill you. They'll kill your friends and your friends' children. They'll kill your parents. They'll kill your parents' friends. And they'll kill everybody who owes you money. And then they'll burn down your village. I mean, they, they, they grind just, you into dust to make jello out of you. Ex exactly. That's what they do. Uh, and, you know, and, and so yeah, I feel like right now the, the Democrats are doing this thing where... If the race starts at A and it ends at Z, right now the Republicans have already moved on to, like, J, and the Democrats are still back on D trying to attack John McCain. And it's like attacking John McCain at this point is just is useless. I mean, the, the, John McCain has already been defeated. He's uninteresting. He's boring. He's dull. No one's excited about him. No, no one's that thrilled about him. Like, they're, they're selling past the clothes there. By focusing on John McCain, 
They're beating a dead horse. I mean, John McCain has already been defeated. You don't need to defeat John McCain now. He has been defeated. The Democrats would need to defeat Sarah Palin, and they just don't seem interested in doing that, which is why they always lose and why they probably deserve to continue to lose. Uh, so he laughs off all this criticism. <laughs> See, it would be funny. It would be funny, except, of course, the news media all decided that that was the lead story yesterday. This is McCain campaign. would much rather have the story about phony and foolish diversions than about the future. So it's all the media's fault. Huh? Yeah, it's, we're part of the problem, Tim. It's got to be stopped. Yeah. Uh, so then we have uh, Sarah Palin uh, warming up the uh, crowd at a fundraising rally. I'll tell you, we are so excited to be here. We also recognize it's going to be a real hard-fought contest here in Virginia. But John McCain and I, we are ready, and with your help, we will win. Many people have forgotten what kind of person John McCain is. But the posters and the pundits, they forgot Pundit? It's only got right one N. Forgotten about uh, the caliber sorry. of the man himself, sorry. the determination and the resolve and the sheer guts of Senator John McCain. I don't mean to. Uh, I don't mean to make molehills into mountains, linguistically or otherwise. Washington doesn't have an R. The word is nuclear, and pundits has one N, you backwater rube. Jesus Christ Almighty. I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. So now we have uh, Idaho Senator Larry Craig. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Had his day in the Minnesota appeals court as he tries to withdraw a guilty plea from allegedly soliciting sex in the men's airport restroom. Okay. gay. Defense attorney Billy Martin told a <laughs> panel of judges this morning there's not enough evidence... To support Craig's conviction on disorderly conduct for allegedly pursuing sex with men in that airport bathroom. The backbone of our judicial system is that a person should not be entitled to go into a courtroom and plead guilty if there are not sufficient facts to support that plea of guilty. Hey, is Larry Craig still in office? Yes. Because remember they tried to make him leave and it was actually, I was sort of impressed that he was just like, F that, I'm staying. And I think Larry Craig, it was savvy enough to realize that if he left, you know, you lose all your perks and your privileges and your pension and your whatever. And I think he was also smart enough to realize that they couldn't make him leave. I mean, really, unless they want to come and just physically throw him out. They couldn't make him leave. And if he just hung on long enough, because we got the, the attention span of a fly, that we would move on to something else like, oh, I don't know, Sarah Palin or the election or, you know, whatever. And we have. And so now he's still there. He, so really, politicians should take a lesson from Larry Craig if, in this one regard. You just hang around, people forget, they move on to John Edwards or whatever else, and you know you still got your job. So good for him. Uh, so, yeah, his uh, defense attorney argues there's not enough evidence. The complaint, being in paragraph two, alleges that defendant, second line, defendant looked through the crack in the door. We don't know how long the crack is, how big the crack is. <laughs> it says that he looked a second time. There's no allegation here that it was continuous staring. Oh, attorney oh, man, I wasn't prepared at all for that. Can you play that soundbite one more time? Sure. The complaint, in paragraph two, alleges that defendant, second line, defendant looked through the crack in the door. We don't know how long the crack is, how big the crack is. It says that he looked a second time. There's no allegation here that it was continuous staring. And if you see a crack somewhere, take a hawk with you and try to seal that, seal that crack up. All right, what is that soundbite, Tim? What is the name of that? R.D.D. Craig H.R. 
NG1. Who do you suppose comes up with these file names, by the way? Could they know. be more difficult? Mm -hmm. RDD Craig HRNG1? That's correct. Yeah, right, yeah. I'm going to save that one, and we're going to play that one in conjunction with some other... Oh, by the way, yes. speaking of awkward, uh, you're listening to KCMD Portland, the CBS radio station, the Tiffany Network, the network of Edward R. Murrow and Tim Riley. Uh, if you go to rickemerson.com, by the way, uh, you get to see uh, today's great and unfortunate uh, phrase... Uh, listener Michael sent this in. He took a photograph of uh, this is, I guess, the folks at Ivory Soap. I'm reading. I'm, he took a photo of this and he sent it in. I guess Ivory Soap is trying to, you know, because Dawn has that "it cuts grease," which is a real good slogan. I'm reading now from the label on a bottle of Ultra Ivory Soap. It says, and I'm quoting now: "Gentle on hands, hard on grease." Just, you know, that's what it says on this bottle of ivory soap. And I did verify, by the way, that that was uh, unchanged, unaltered, unedited. Ivory. Ivory soap is hard on grease. You know, just like in case you were looking. Here's Tim Riley. So now we have prosecuting attorney Christopher Wren saying the conviction does not record evidence proving that Craig was trying to solicit sex in that restaurant. The conduct we're talking about is not contingent on conduct being sexual or over any kind of sexual nature. All we're talking about is the conduct of multiple intrusions into an occupied stall space. That is sufficient. It's the new Bell and Sebastian. Then we have New York Congressman Charlie Rangel responding to charges that he failed to declare Charlie rental income from his beach house. In the Dominican Republic, Rangel admits he does owe some back taxes because of some sort of misunderstanding. The company's failure to provide timely and regular statement does not excuse any failure to be more diligently pursued the actual terms of the arrangement and respond appropriately. For this, I take full responsibility. Everybody makes mistakes, including Charlie Rangel. So the fact that I'm going to make certain that ports are corrected and filed does not mean in any way that I belittle the actual inaccuracies that are there. You know, it's strange how people with voices like that can get jobs where they got to talk to people all the time. Uh, see also Barney Frank. Uh, see also, what's his name, that uh, Kennedy, who sounds like he's got uh, no lips. Uh, oh, he yeah. does that show on Air America. Uh, let's see here. Uh, what are we doing? Let's get these two calls. We'll continue. You're listening to CBS Portland and so forth. And ad infinitum. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey. Hey. This is me. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, so anyway, <laughs> um, we I got a visa question, and we work with this coworker, and I figured you'd be the guy to call. All right, um, So he's claiming there's a, a bigger visa bottle, like the regulars, like what the twenty ounce. He's a filthy liar. Where yeah, is this? That's what we're saying. Where Lies. is this bigger visa bottle you Lies. speak of? That's what we're saying. So. We were like, you can't bring one in. You can't prove it. So, and then my coworkers are all like, yeah, you got to call Rick and ask him. Photo or it didn't happen. Um, all right. Well, let me let's back up for a second. I don't have a visa bottle here in front of me, but is it 20 ounces? Am I right about yeah, that? Yeah, because I looked. Yeah, the regular visa bottle is 20 ounces. That's all I've ever seen. All right, so w let's back up for a second. Where did he claim that he saw this, quote, bigger visa bottle? <laughs> That's the thing. He can't remember. Oh, I, yeah. No, yeah, was it was it in like, Canada with his girlfriend? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he's lying to you. I think. I mean, I, I would have to check with Alex at the time. I, I looked on the website. You know, I'm, I guess it's not that big of a deal, but I was just... 
we were just kind of curious. Maybe like, no this way. is like the uh, maybe it's like the In and Out hidden menu where it's like or like a golden ticket or that that uh, that freaky flavor of Doritos. Perhaps huh? it's only for the Russian cosmonauts aboard the International Space Station. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe that you know I guess it's possible they could be test marketing some larger bottle of Vizo somewhere else and not making it public knowledge again like how they how they test products in certain communities. But I think we would have heard about that. Yeah. But that uh, we'll look into it, sir. Cool. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. All right. And so forth. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. How can I help ye? Hey, Rick, is this yeah, my turn well. for a ra- uh, rant? Yes, we're going to be. Uh, I'm glad you said that, sir. I mean, it sort of slipped my brain with all the uh, what with all the excitement. Uh, today, we are going to be taking a 60 second rants on any topic of your choosing, so long as it uh, is an original uh, creation, uh, one that uh, you can either read or you can do it freestyle. A 60 second rant. We will be taking those at 503-733-2970-503. 733-2970, and at the end of the show, the uh, the one that we uh, deem to be the best scores the grand prize pair of tickets to see Dennis Miller at Spirit Mountain Casino, as well as overnight lodging. Have you such a rant, sir? Yes, sir, I do. All right, well, hold on a second. I, got, I had this uh, bed put together for it. Let me see if I can give me like five seconds. If I can't find it, uh, we'll use something else. But I, I swear to God, I had this uh, I had this bed put together uh, that we were going to use for this. Wait, wait. Yeah, I don't have it. It's the uh, and it's that sequence from Fight Club uh, where they're out the starting a fight sequence. It's that dun 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 like where the guy's hosing down the priest with the uh, with the water. All right, let me find something else and we'll roll this. All right, are you prepared, my friend? Yes, sir, I am. Can you uh, give me like a three count or something? Yeah, no, I'll give I'll count you down from five. Okay, and you guys are timing this. Yes, I will be timing it. All right, uh, five, four, three, ready, set, rant. All right, KCMD, you want a 60-second rant? Here goes. To all you bean counters at CBS, and you know who you are, you want to grow the brand? Here's a tip, Sparky. How about you transmit on a frequency or bandwidth that can be heard beyond 122nd Avenue? It's called Frequency Modulation, or FM, for Christ's sakes. Maybe I can still hear Rick's witty, yet relatable commentary while driving next to some friggin' power lines. Or, heaven forbid... Some Gomer out in Claskin I might actually hear about, and which to purchase a goddamn Bezo. Then we got Dennis Miller in the morning. Dennis, Bubby, we love that thing which you do, but seriously, sport enough of the arcane expression thing already. I swear if I hear Sorta Damocles, Gordian Knot, or Occam's Razor one more time this week, I might just have a cerebral thrombosis, babe. That which is arcane fails to be so when oft-repeated. You see where I'm going with this, Chachi? That's right, champ. Punch up the right step. That's all. Enough said. Problem solved. Now you, Richie Bristol, listen up. Three little words to live by. Wash your ass. It works in every situation. <laughs> and, we're done. and we're done. Wash your ass. And we're done. We're done. All right, that is 60 seconds. All right. Thank you, sir. Uh, I'm going to put you on hold. Richie Rich will get... I like how the the, uh, the ass part had to be mentioned twice, too, because Richie might ignore the first bit of advice. All right, sir. Uh, Richie, will you get that guy's contact info? We're taking your 60-second rants uh, throughout the day. Richie, will not, I will not get his info. That is info at the end of the day. Uh, I've also got some submitted uh, via email, but we're trying to do it with a bulk of them via the phone today. Uh, at the end of the program, we will announce the best, uh, the best rant as determined by we, the Rick Emerson uh, cast and crew. And uh, the winner goes to see Dennis Miller himself this weekend, Spare Mountain Casino, Saturday night and overnight lodging. I didn't really see it go in that direction, but I like your style, sir. You've got the, you got spunk. Very surprising. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. That was a great little rant. Yes, it was, sir. How can I help you today? Hey, I, just a quick comment on that ivory soap being hard on grease. <clears throat> uh, did they have an advertising campaign before that? Are you working up to asking whether they're taking their advertising in a new direction? 
Well, I, I guess so. I mean, if, if they've changed it, I guess we would be going in a, a new direction. Yes. Hey, Rick. I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> I kind of don't believe ivory soap, ivory soap, according to the label, is in fact soft on hands, or no, gentle on hands and hard on grease. And I don't know whether they're taking, uh, whether they're changing direction and going in a new direction with their advertising. Well, it's entirely possible. Best show ever. Okay, thank you. I, I felt like I was, it was like an alley oop, like I was supposed to pick up the, the other end of that joke or something. No, no. It's like a Stockton and Malone thing there, but I wasn't, wasn't quite sure if I was Stockton or Malone. Here's Tim Riley. All right. Uh, let's see. We have a missing berry picker out there. Be on the lookout for a 62-year-old California woman who disappeared in the woods while picking berries. This is in Scamadia County in Stevenson. The family of Tekhoon say she was picking berries in the Gifford National Park. Shortly after dinner, her family noticed that she is missing. She left no berries behind. They're looking for her, and uh, about uh, 20 people have set up a command post to hunt for the missing berry picker. Um, they're... Time for a geek watch. Here's your geek watch for uh, Wednesday on the Rick Emerson Radio Report. Ugh, this high-speed modem is intolerably slow. In the Quasar Dilemma, I remember you used to... Just a television show. That's all, okay? <laughs> right, but... Because we were wondering if the quantum flux... And I just listen on there. There is no quantum flux. There's no auxiliary. There's no goddamn ship. You got it? Better does. The world's largest particle collider passed its first major test by firing two beams of protons in the opposite direction around a 17-mile underground ring. Party, uh, I'm sorry, I just mangled that particle collider. I barely knew her. Right, that was lame, I'm sorry. This is what scientists hope is the next great step to understanding the makeup of the universe. After a series of trial runs, two white dots flash on a computer screen at 1026, indicating that the protons had traveled clockwise along the full length of a 4 billion Swiss franc large Hayden Collider, described as the biggest physics library in the world. This is it, said the project leader. Champagne corks popped as far away as Chicago, where contributing computing scientists watched the proceedings by satellite. Five hours later, scientists successfully fired a beam counterclockwise. Physicists around the world now have much greater power to smash the components of atoms together in attempts to learn about their structure. Uh, all right, so here's well the thing done, about this. Everyone. I, <laughs> a round of applause from us. Here's the, here's the thing, is that I know this is a huge story. This is one of those uh, things where I feel colorblind, because it, it, or like when you're looking at a magic eye painting or something, and like you know it's a big deal, but you can't you can't quite put your arms around why. Because, first of all, you know, Google modifies their front page, you know, for, for events and holidays or whatever. If you look at Google today, I think it's probably still this way. It actually is the um, the large uh, Hadron Collider, I think it's called. And the Google logo, yeah, there you go. The Google logo today looks like a big super collider. Uh, and I know that there were like a bunch of headlines this morning and a bunch of, uh, you know, I got a bunch of geek email this morning. It was like, hey, because I guess they were, they were making some low-level jokes about how if they turned it on, was it going to like destroy the world mm -hmm. or, you know, bring in spiders from another dimension? And I guess none of those things happened, and it didn't, like, nothing blew up, uh, or every, you know, we didn't die. But I don't really understand, and I don't even really know if, I, if it's worth it to have people call and try to explain it. I know it's a huge story. Does anybody here understand the premise behind a super collider in even the vaguest way? Maybe if I read some more, it might ca cast uh, some light on it. No, and I was reading the article this morning, and I have yeah, that's the same thing. Everyone's like, it's such a huge deal. I have no idea what that, what that means. It's a really big deal. It's about particles and atoms. And I guess. 
and I know that as I say this, I'm cueing Thomas Gill to email us about it, but I, I, I really, I don't, I don't understand, and, and I'm kind of torn between wanting it explained to me and then not wanting it explained, because let's be honest, if you explain it to me now, it's given a man a fish for a day, because the next time a story like this happens, I'm not going to understand well, it Well, anyone who can explain it probably, you know, just knows it because they're they're so smart and scientific and whatnot, and they can't probably properly explain it to stupid people like Would that. not be able to dumb it down to our level. All they, I, they probably have uh, models of protons at the breakfast table. It, it, it's so they're they're one of those families. Family, yeah. yeah, totally, where they've got, like, it's like the wooden things with the little, and uh, here you can see, this is the, and the only reason I even know about protons and electrons is because of that WKRP episode where Venus Flytrap is talking about the structure of the atom uh, to the hooligan kid that he's trying to get to go back to school, which is like one of the best science lessons ever. Uh, I really want to go back and see who wrote that episode. If anybody remembers that episode of WKRP, it really is one of the greatest things ever put on film. Uh, also, somebody sent me a rap song about the Super Collider. Who wants to hear part of it? I do. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm about to drop some particle physics in the club. The LHC is super duper fly. You know what I'm saying. Check it. Three minutes of that, which I guess... Somebody with goopy drawers singing about an Adam Smasher? Apparently, I was looking online, and I guess the entire thing, which should come as no surprise, and I would have known it instinctively, even if I hadn't read it this morning, but of course, the, the whole thing is scientifically accurate. It is apparently a, a three-minute rap song distillation of how the Super Collider works. Is that from, like, Death Row Records? <laughs> yes, it's the... Uh, no, it's from the... It's just the row now, Tim. All right. Uh, all right. Well, there you go. This is the new, the new corrupt joint. It's all large... <laughs> Collider. Uh, critics are calling this a doomsday experiment. Professor Frank Wilczek says the threats don't bother him at all. We have very exciting ideas about what might happen. He sounds excited. <laughs> <laughs> he never meant for the threats to become public knowledge. There's a casual remark I made to a fellow physicist who passed it on, and then it's gotten blown all out of proportion. So they found out what a large uh, portion of the universe is made of. There's this medium that fills what to our eyes appears as empty space, but to our minds, we know it's not empty. He's making stuff up. He can say anything at this point. When he says... He's going to disbelieve him. When he says, to our minds it appears to be empty spaces, but it's not empty. You know what it is? That's like some guy doing bad Ginsberg poetry. Moloch the Destroyer. Uh, you know, and then we're all supposed to snap or whatever. Or that's, again, to use the, I've used this analogy once already today, but that's like when Lisa Simpson's talking about jazz, and she goes, you have to listen to the music between, you know, the, you have to listen to the sound, be, the music between the notes. To which the woman replies, I can do that at home for free. So I don't even know what that means. Can I ask you a science question, Tim? Oh, of course you can. You won't know the answer, but can I ask you? Yeah. <sighs> all right. Should I get a cup of coffee before I do this? Sure. All right. Yeah. Danish. All right. Let's uh, take this call. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. I'll be getting a cup of coffee while you, you speak. Listen to the theme from uh, Man from Atlantis again. Probably not. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Hey. What's up? What's up? 
Hey, I, I deliver a Viso in Lower Southeast, so if there was a bigger bottle than a 20-ounce, I would definitely know about it. And you haven't seen it? I have not. All right. Um, and so, uh, all right, so you haven't heard any, you haven't heard tell, as they say, about a new bigger bottle of Viso being released. Yeah, I I mean, they, they like, suck that stuff down like it's going out of style. Oh, no, it's, uh, no, it's an addiction. There's no getting around that. All right, and, so. And, if, and then definitely if there was a bigger bottle, I would be delivering a million cases a week of it. So, so this seems like it might be a, an urban legend at this point. Yeah. It's like an albino hey, alligator. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and that uh, that that large uh, particle accelerator, I, I don't know if you guys have talked about it because I, I kind of jump in and out of the show in my truck, but I heard that it could open a mini black hole on Earth. See, that's... <laughs> See, I don't understand. I don't understand, and here's a, and I don't even know enough about science to know if what you're saying is even possible or true. Or you could just be throwing this out, like how sometimes we play that game where I got to work the phrase aluminum siding into an interview. Somebody might have to call up Rick and say mini black hole. Yeah, yeah there was two fears that, that scientists had. One was the you know the uh, mini black hole thing. Then there was there was a, there's a particle which you, sh- you should probably just Wikipedia it because I'm I'm going to explain it really bad and mm-hmm. sound retarded. But uh, it's called a strangelet, uh-huh. and it's a it's a theory that this particle could be created by this particle accelerator, and it could destroy the Earth. Oh, that's great! That's wonderful. That's just that's that's just that's just swell. Thanks, thanks for that. <laughs> thanks so much. Uh, you're welcome. Bye. Wait, so the thing, they now I'm all like black hole that will suck up the Earth. I don't know, man. Now I'm all like Bill no, Paxton in, in Aliens. Out right well, now. that's just great, man. That's great. That's wonderful. You know what? You know what the end result of all this is, Sarah. The miss takes John Lee. All right. Uh, let's see here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Are you calling about the super collider? I barely knew her. I have a fact. Hey, right. Rick. Yeah. Can I try to explain the Large Hadron Collider in 30 seconds or less? You can try. Go. I shall go. All right. So imagine that you're a car guy, a bit Bettenberger kind of guy. You're mm-hmm. really into cars. Right. But imagine that an atom is a car that you can never open the hood. You can't look inside, right? Right. So what they do is they take two atoms, they get a really big racetrack, they get them going really fast, and then they slam them into each other, and they take a whole bunch of super high-speed photos of the parts that fly off, and then they try to reverse engineer what the car was made out of. Hey, that's really good. Is that accurate, sort of? Yeah, so they get two really dense atoms, you gold or something like that. They use magnetic fields, and they have a gigantic racetrack. They race them around past each other. The last instant, they slam them into each other, and parts of the atoms fly off. You know, your catalytic converter, your right. engine block, your fender, the whole thing. Right. And then, based on those pieces, they try to figure out how that all goes together. Because an atom is not some you, know, you can't just take a huge atom can opener and open it up and see what's inside. So they have to break them apart. That is fantastic. Well done. Do we all agree that's a great explanation? Yes. yes. Uh, let me ask you this, my friend. Are you at all interested in seeing uh, uh, Dennis Miller live? Are you able to do that? Are you willing to do that? Are you interested in doing that either Friday or Saturday? Of course. All right. Um, all right. I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, Richie Bristol is going to uh, rustle up your information, and we will contact you later on in the program. I think we've got a, a pair of tickets with your name on it. Thank you, sir. All right. Very much. Thank you, all right, Richie. You want to talk a, to that guy? What is a black hole? Oh, see, now you're doing this I again. I'm sorry. I just don't know. A black hole, I believe, is a collapsed star whose gravitational pull is so great that not even light can escape, thus it appears to be black. That's really only based on that you know, Disney like, movie called The Black Hole. And stuff. Yeah. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a vacuum cleaner hose. It is. No, it's like a, it's, it, it, it's a collapsed star. Where do, you, where do you go if you get sucked into the black hole? Nobody ever comes back. Wait, are you, is that a setup for a joke? No. I don't no. know. Well, I don't think a black hole is really, knows. but I don't think a black hole is really a hole, isn't it? Isn't it just a collapsed star? Yes. It's a star that collapses down to the size of like a golf ball. 
And the gravitational pull is so strong that not even light can get away from it, which is why it looks black, because the light can't travel to your eye. Well, then if something goes into it. But you can't go into it. It's not a hole. It's like a golf ball. I'm making this up. I don't really know what I'm talking about. The black hole is the size of a golf ball? You were just leaning on me until I collapsed. <laughs> black well, hole is the size of a golf ball? I think it's a collapsed star. It's enough to second like a dead mouse. I. Well, that's how what? big it would be. I mean, the human being couldn't be sucked in. But you couldn't be sucked in it, but it's not. But I guess my point is I don't think a black hole is actually a hole. I think they call it that because it is a, uh, because it, it's like a, it's sort of a cylinder, uh, not cylindrical, but it's, you know, it's round. It looks like a hole because it's just a space where there's no light. But I don't think a black hole is actually a hole. I think it is just a very, very small uh, amount of matter. That is a collapsed planet. In other words, like if a planet just sort of crumbles, like if you took a planet and you could squeeze it and crush it down to a really, really small, uh, you know, amount, you know, that's what it is. It's like if you took a planet, you squeezed it hard and made it really small. That's a black hole. And the gravity is so strong that light can't get away from it to hit your eye. So it looks like a black hole, but I think it is just a very small amount of very uh, gravitational matter. I don't think it's a hole at all. I always get the black hole question wrong in science anyway, and I felt in my adult life, I'll never have to deal with it. <laughs> like in a job interview. Where do you consider yourself being in five years? What about those black holes? <laughs> I uh, And how weird that they would put a black hole question on a science test, because I think it's one of those things that not even scientists really understand. Oh, no, they always put it on mine. I think, well, that's because you went to a Schmansky school that was supposed to get you into education, uh, educational facilities, Tim. Mine was just to keep me off the street, keep me from mugging the townspeople of Kennewick. Yet we all ended up in this room, didn't we? It really is strange, isn't it? it How did is. we all come to be in this room? I don't know. I just show up every day and we're still here. No. I'm here every day my key card works. Keep doing that. Um, yeah. All right. What uh, more could anyone ask, really? I mean, really, this is going to be this is going to be one of those things they do on the inevitable behind the music about us. Everything. How did these three individuals all end up on one very unique program? Join us now as we look at the Rick Emerson Show. Now somebody wants to explain a black hole in 30 seconds. Okay, here we got two things here. We got we got your choice. We can take, and then we ha and we're gonna do more news because it's like we can't just start talking about physics because it's an endless toy box in which we understand nothing. Oh, I know. Uh, it is itself a black hole of just ignorance for us. We can either take a guy who wants to do the black hole in 30 seconds, or we can talk to Andy, the homeschool kid. How about the 30 second black hole? Right. Oh, sorry, Andy. Sorry, Andy. Uh, hello, hi. Can you talk about the black hole in 30 seconds without making any crude sexual euphemisms for the love of God? Actually, I could, but I'm getting pulled over right now, so I have to call you back. I'm you should really leave, sorry. You should leave the phone on. Uh, no. All right. <laughs> no, I Good luck. No, I'm sorry. Bye. Bye. Wow. <laughs> what the hell was that? That's bad. I tried to get him to, uh... I tried to get him to leave the phone on there, too. I, well, I know, and you could... I that's, don't know. that's an old morning show trick. Oh, that I know. That a little suspicious, though, too, he's like, no, I can't. Oh, like, uh, oh, I can't. I got all the crystal meth in the club box. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get rid of my paraphernalia. I got many guns underneath the seat. I'll, I'll, I'll call you in five to ten. All right. Yeah, no, it is an old morning show thing, but I'm not above Officer, that, Officer, you're live on the air now with Mikey and the Ragamuffins. You know, <laughs> I did that once, actually, a long time ago. Uh, maybe not that long, maybe eight, nine years ago. I did that where I, I had him hand the phone to the cop. And A, it, defying all probability, if I remember correctly, the cop actually was a listener, but wasn't all that amused. Uh, one, I don't think they dinged the guy any harder, but the cop was like, yeah, I, I know who you are. No, it's my, I'm sorry, I can't, I gotta hang up now. Goodbye, Rick. You know, so I, I tried my best, but it didn't really work. Oh, God. Okay, now we're getting particle accelerator and Brady Bunch calls. 
What is wrong I think with everything today? There's too much science. I think we have, seriously, I think we have fallen into some kind of a weird wormhole. We've been blinded by it. All right, here's... Here's Tim Riley. Well, let's talk about uh, Kim Jong-il's illness. Apparently, he's recovering from surgery, says South Korea's spy agency. The rumors, however, prep questions about North Korea's future because Kim Jong-il has no heir apparent. Uh, the executive editor of Radio Free Asia says Kim Jong-il's eldest son has been discredited as a possible successor. Doing things like showing up on a false passport in Japan and claiming he was there just to go to Disneyland. And <laughs> it kind of came out of the Japanese media and was sort of an embarrassment. And the guy, that guy now lives in Macau. He, he would have been the most likely. Wait, so this is a report by a South Korean spy? Yes. In other words, Tim, he's a secret Asian man? Yes, I believe so. The second son is the most likely successor for Kim Jong-il. The second son has had some education in Switzerland, and his classmates there said when he was there that he seemed like a nice guy and, you know, sort of open-minded. Uh, and nobody ever sees him, of course, now that he's back in North Korea. Except for the, uh, the imprisoning of uncooperative classmates. Yes. Mm -hmm. We're going to do something else. <laughs> do you want to do something else? Are you done? Have you no, moved on in your head? Yes. Um... Well, no, I thought we were going to do something else at this point. Like what? I don't know. Whatever you had planned. You said I mean, we were going to turn to the top five. You or said something. we were going to do one more story, and then we were going to do something. I don't think I said that. Yes, you did. Sarah, did I just say we were going to do one more story? I think you're making that up, Tim, or perhaps. I I think maybe you're having a flashback. Well, I'll do another story if that's what you really want. Did well, we try to plan for like doing the top five at one fifteen so we wouldn't be behind? Yeah, but that didn't really happen. Yeah, that's not happening. Let's do let's do one more, then we'll do something else. <laughs> then I'll deny it. Steve Jobs unveiled a new line of iPods. Uh, he began poking fun at recent speculation about his health. The reports of my death are greatly exaggerated, said he. Stan Nug with Apple says, the new nano models are the thinnest iPods ever to be invented on the face of the earth. It's incredible design. It's curved and perfect to fit in its hand. It's got nine just incredible colors, silver, purple, blue, green, orange, yellow, pink, red, and black. Stan Nug says Apple also has uh, three new versions of the iPod Touch. Whatever with all is. the millions of songs and thousands of movies and hundreds of games now available on the iTunes store for purchase for your iPod Touch, this has become just the premier mobile entertainment device. Boy, I am just reading some lame-ass bullet points off a piece of paper in front of me and hoping Steve Jobs doesn't fire me. Yeah, there was all that speculation that Steve Jobs was about to die or that he'd already died or that his cancer had come back or something. I read so, about that. Yeah, but, uh, you know, he uh, Steve Jobs will live forever. He will live forever. And then, you know, and, and if, he, and if the, 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 the cold, clammy embrace of death ever does come for Steve Jobs, he will totally do the Colbert thing and have, like, his brain shot into space or something. Uh, let's see here. Um, here we go. Kristen Bowie says, you know, if a black hole was to come close to Earth, the gravitational pull would be so strong that at first we'd just feel strange and stretchy. It would be pleasurable, like gentle yoga. The closer it got, we'd eventually be uncomfortable, and at the last stages, we'd be ripped apart into small pieces. It's and like a she... more powerful flow bee. <laughs> it held up the... Tim, it's the flow bee of the gods. <laughs> Okay, having used the phrase Floby... I'm getting so many frustrated emails from smart people. I'm not that smart! Get off my back! This is the station for smart people. It's the station for smart people who want to feel even smarter, Tim. Uh, all right. Having... Do you know what the term is? If you're a section of black hole, you're spaghettified? 
That's see, but they're screwing with you. They're making that up. Because from Joni. They're Joni's saying that because she made a bet with Chris about whether you would repeat it on the air. Oh, that jerk. I'm just guessing. Would you Would you believe at all? Uh, I mean, would you doubt for a second if I told you that was true? No, Doesn't I that would... sound like a thing that she's like? Let's see if I can get Sarah to say spaghettified. Probably. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Right Especially used and cheap. Uh huh. Uh, having used the phrase stop and I'm a drunk 12 year old have, I could just stay here all day while you say it, that is exa- it is I, I just googled it and Wikipedia spaghettification <laughs> <laughs> having used the phrase floby of the gods and the term spaghettification we're going to take a little break here we're going to come back more from Tim Riley you're looking forward to it already okay uh, your calls if you're on hold hang tight Later on, we'll talk to Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Peter Carlin, uh, we'll talk to rock historian Tim English about the most stolen rock riffs ever. And then we have this leftover top five. Stay there. Build a sex temple. I don't mean for this to sound sleazy, but what do you wear when I put my baby in you? I better take off my pants. Take off your pants. Let me go to uh, the hornyslut.com. Great food like bosoms. Your bosoms? Uh, which are plentiful. It's really possible it's being hidden in my butt. You must take my seat. I was waiting for the anus. No matter what you do in your life, you will never be as retarded as I am. That's uh, true. Okay. Why, hello, it's uh, the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970, uh, Just a skosh, we'll talk to our good friend Mr. Skin at MrSkin.com. Uh, coming up later on, well, we have this backup top five we can get to. Really, it's just the top five prostitution songs from like way before Richie even went on vacation to, to, uh, to Vegas. So, I got him kind of sitting around, we do doing whatever. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, we will talk to uh, Team English. Uh, rock and roll historian Tim English about the rock's most stolen riffs, melodies, etc., and uh, so forth. It's 503 733 2970. 503 733 2970. Also, I want to play back. We'll see if we have. We'll see if this is going to be uh, Mr. Skin. If not, I will play back this uh, this moment from the Dennis Miller show this morning. That actually, I, uh, I it made me LOL. Let's see. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the phone. I can see that it's ringing right now. Ringing. I'm sensing no answer. I'm sensing a great disturbance in the fort. Okay, there we go. Let me just play this back. This is some guy from some place talking to Dennis Miller about Barack Obama and blah, blah, blah. He's a phony and blah, 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 blah. But then they make this great Steven Seagal reference, and then then they tie it all up at the end with a great phrase. So this is some guy talking to Dennis Miller this morning. I, I think that part of Obama's problem, aside from being a phony a great and reference uh, here. Uh, the other problems being a little bit mean, in fact, maybe in the subconscious, is that he's just been a fad for too long now. He's kind of like <laughs> Steven Seagal between Under Siege 1 and Under Siege 2. <laughs> You know, there just gets a point where a guy's lines, oh, I'm a big Tai Chi guy, and I'm, you know, it just wears thin after a while. (laughs) Steven Seagal did have that moment where it all caved in, and you began to think, wait a second, he's not a mystical martial arts guy, he's got man boobs. (laughs) And it all went away in one second. So you're saying Barack has man boobs. Well, you know, if he starts packing on weight. So there you go. Barack has man boobs. It was all worth it for that one line and the idea that they could tie Barack Obama back to Steven Seagal. And, you know, all good things uh, relate to Steven Seagal. 
503-733-2970. Uh, let's see. Well, we'll do some calls here in a moment. This, however, is your personal savior. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Sam. For your convenience, a new baggage handling system at PDX is expected to make chicken quicker than ever. Uh-huh. This <laughs> really? This $60 million. Did $60 they, million. Dollars. Did they say this with a straight face? Mm-hmm. It's going to move luggage screening equipment out of the ticket lobby and provide more space and flexibility. Oh, this is that stupid thing in the lobby where they like to scan your bags to make sure you're not carrying buckets of gunpowder. Yes. Which makes no one feel safer. So a screener loads the luggage onto a CTX machine. And then it's expected to be in place by the year 2010. Our officers are committed to providing the highest level of security as well as excellent customer service to all passengers traveling through PDX. Let me understand this. We're paying how much? $60 million. 60 or one six? No, no. Six zero. Six zero. Sixty million. Sixty million. Here's it doesn't a, exactly explain what it does. Here's a dumb question, Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the airport's going to spend sixty-six zero million on this? That's correct. Where does that money come from? Is that tax money? Yes. Now is that federal tax money? I believe so. But so that's still us paying for it. Yes. So we're still getting it in the shorts. Nobody asked me whether or not I wanted it or not. No, nobody did, Tim. Oh, the government knows best. The government the is here to help you. State. It is, Tim. Uh, speaking of the nan, oh, never mind. Never mind. You know, it's just oh, going to be. No, really? Do you mean that, really? Yes, I insist. Sincerely? Yes. All right. Let me read this email. Then I'll say this thing that I wasn't going to say that now Tim has ensured that I will say. This email says, "Hey, Rick, your show is truly a black hole of knowledge. Between your attempts at explaining things you don't know anything about, Tim's flat-out lies and myths, truths often said just to shut you up, and Sarah's naivete about the man from Atlantis, I think I'm becoming more and more retarded just by listening. Thanks a lot, Madam Tigard. P.S. Oddly enough, I can't quit you. All right. Well, is your uh, name Madam Tigard? Matt in Tigard. Oh, Madam Tigard. Hello, oh, I'm Madam Tigard. I'm Madam Tigard." I'm schooled in the ways of pleasure. Take off your pants. I don't even know what's happening. Uh, let's see here. What are we, is this Mr. Skin? All right. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from MrSkin.com, the online celebrity nudity database. Mr. Skin, hello, sir. Hey, Rick. How's it going? You know, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. Uh, suffice it to say, we started talking about zombies at one point, then Patrick Duffy and the man from Atlantis. Oh, my God. Then the Super Collider, then Black Holes, and then building a sex temple. So it's been a bit of a day. Well, I think I could fit into that discussion with some of the words you just used. Well, uh, this, <laughs> yeah, I have, I have no doubt. What is uh, what is new in the world of nudity, my friend? Well, there's a movie that opens in theaters this weekend uh, called Blindness. It stars Julianne Moore, who has been naked quite a few times in her career. She is naked again, but this time at the one hour and 45 minute mark, she takes a shower with a hot Brazilian actress named Alice Braga Excellent. And, a, and a Japanese actress named uh, Yoshina Komuro, who I know you're a big fan of. But uh, all three are nude in the shower. Uh, uh, very good stuff. Julianne Moore, once again naked, one of my favorites. Um, at the new release section of your favorite video store is a thriller called 88 Minutes. And just four minutes in, a girl named Lee Carnes. Um, and it's, I always said this, and we're going to actually do a top ten list at MrSkin.com. She is nude with an apron on, so you could see her butt, and it's a really great nude scene. And I, it inspired me to do my top ten nude while wearing an apron scenes of all time. So 88 minutes at the four-minute mark, uh, Lee Carnes uh, naked in that. Very good stuff. And finally, Risky Business 25th anniversary. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. It's been 25 years since that movie came out. 
they're releasing the 25th anniversary edition on DVD this week. And remember the famous, uh, the great uh, nude scene 28 minutes in with Tom Cruise and Rebecca De Mornay. Remember yeah. her? Yeah, she's the hot babe in that. So Rebecca De Mornay will make you De Hornay and check it out. Risky <laughs> Business uh, is uh, the 25th anniversary edition out on DVD this week. I have to, I have to just ask if you don't mind. I want to want you to give away the store, but you're doing a top 10 nude with an apron. What what is one other movie on that list? Well, Color of Night, the movie with um, Oh yeah, Bruce Willis. Uh, Bruce Willis. Um, Jane March had a great nude apron scene, and I'm uh, uh, we're scouring the website right now. We will come up with ten in an apron, and it'll uh, be a great list for the website. Excellent. All right. Thank you, my friend. We will talk to you next week. All right, Rick. There you go. Fantastic. Ten in an apron. It sounds like some sort of a 1950s screwball comedy with uh, with Hepburn and Tracy. All right. Make you de horne. You know... I do believe that guy has every likelihood of becoming the new Bruce Valanche. You just mark my words here. Here's Tim Riley. Super lice are leaving parents scratching their heads. Ah. It's traumatizing, said a parent. I was really grossed out by it. They're not just lice, Tim. They're super lice. All right. <laughs> Researchers have been warning for years now that headlines in the U.S. and around the world are developing immunity, destroying insecticides, no, not... used in over-the-counter and prescription shampoos, it takes three to five years for the bugs to adapt to a new product, despite claims to the contrary. Health officials are concerned. Of course, they don't want to recommend products because, well, they don't work. I had a mom drag her child into my office the first day of school, said a school nurse. She's been battling it throughout the summer, wanted advice on where to go from here. I would say go like to... An... bring your kid into class and let everyone else get infected. I would say go to another town, because you are now forever the girl who has been battling lice all year. Infestations of head lice have long been common in daycare centers and elementary school because of close contact among young children. It's suited to spreading the tiny insects about the size of a sesame seed that crawls from head to head. Yeah. Latch on the hair follicles. Yeah. They can feed on tiny droplets of blood. Adult lice can live up to a month on a person's head. They need to feed several times a day. Without nutrition, lice will die. They're like communists, Tim. Mm -hmm. They're like communists of the scalp. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's disgusting. Um, no, why? What answer? I'm not going to read the question on the screen yet, Richie, until you put the answer up. What is the answer to that? That doesn't make any sense. All right, Richie's typing a joke about lice and the Catholic Church. Is it true? I don't understand. Never mind. You know, we're moving yeah. on. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Who, who this? This, Simon. Hello, hi. How are you today? I'm fine. How, what brings you to the phone, Simon? We're going to do a rant on something here. Fantastic. All right, we've gotten a lot of those via email. We had a great one on the phone earlier. Uh, we are taking rants until the end of the program. Uh, the only requirement is that it be 60 seconds long at minimum. Uh, we'll cut you off at 60 and that it be an original creation. You can read it. You can freestyle it. You can get it off a script, whatever, but it's got to be from your own head. Uh, about any topic of your choosing, so long as it is suitable for air at the determination of Richie Bristol. The uh, best rant at the end of today's program wins not only tickets to see Dennis Miller this weekend at Spirit Mountain Casino, uh, but wins overnight uh, accommodations at the plush Spirit Mountain Casino Resort as well. Are you ready, sir? I think so. All right. On your mark. Get set. Rant. 
Has anyone else noticed that fashion in America is disappearing faster than moose at a Republican convention? Now, I don't want to get off on a rant here, but when did wearing designer jeans slung below your butt, held up by only a belt stretched tighter than Jennifer Gray's forehead, become de rigueur? And what's with a tightly clenched fist grasping the buckle like Nick Cage trying to hold on to his sunsetting career? I guess the spread legs used to hold up the pants were in preparation of the inevitable pat-down by some bike cop convinced homie is packing. Just walk through Lloyd Center for a view of what passes as fashion. For most Portland clothing aficionados, Hot Topic and Hollister are the stargate of bleeding-edge apparel design. Now, I don't expect all of us to wear an outfit that costs more than the GDP of Azerbaijan, but there has to be some middle ground between Cindy McCain's three-carat ear studs and Screech's self-induced sputum-covered Save by the Bell t-shirt. Come on, people, stop trying to outdo the cast of 90210 with your olive drab Mountain Dew recycled Patagucci wind cheater and neon orange keen sandals that look like your toes are in the final stages of Ebola virus infection. Of course, that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. Well done, sir. Congratulations. That came out out of your own brain. That's it. And you know what? Extra points, by the way, for using the endless comedic gold mine that is Azerbaijan. Yes, well, oh. and also Screech. Yeah, no, no, long. you can never go wrong with Screech or Sputum. Yeah. Right. I'm going to put you on hold, my friend. Uh, Richie's going to get your information. We'll make the determination at the end of today's program. Great. Thank you. We are taking, well done. We're taking 60-second rants. It was very good. This show makes people smarter. It does, Tim. It when the it, brain. When it's not making them retarded. We're not talking about black holes. Uh... We're taking 60-second rants all day long at 503-733-2970. A rant on any topic you're choosing, so long as it's safe for the air and as long as you did it yourself. 60-second uh, rants at 503-733-2970 uh, all day long till around 245. Then we'll pick the best one, and you will go to see Dennis Miller at Spirit Mountain Casino, and you get overnight accommodations there uh, as well. And it really is uh, it is quite plush. Here's Tim Riley. Our Pentagon official admits the Afghan strategy is not working. Admiral Michael Mullen the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff told the lawmakers today that the U.S. isn't winning the battle against the insurgents in Afghanistan and says, we cannot kill our way to victory. Isn't that the way wars used to be? I think, isn't that... Look, I don't mean to sound as though I'm making light of warfare, diminishing the importance of all human existence or whatever, I but, that's the object of but this. that is the point of war, is you kill your way to victory. I'm not trying to be... I guess it doesn't work anymore. I'm not trying to be insensitive or to... Uh, I'm not trying to be flip about a serious situation, but isn't that how wars work? They used to be, but I mean, are, these are Afghan insurgents. Maybe they're like headlights. As, uh, what's his name? Uh, Todd Wayneo in World War Z says. Uh, they, uh, and, uh, no, and what's his name? The guy that Alan Alda plays in the World War Z audiobook. And yes, I do relate everything to World War Z. You know, the whole point of a war is you push the enemy until either physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, or whatever. They just say, well, that's it. And they throw in the towel and they give up. Which is why it's so hard to fight against zombies, obviously. So, but that is the whole point of a war: is you just yeah. you, you kill and you kill and you kill some more until yeah. they kind of say, "Well, sod that, we're done with it." And then he said, "The enemy will only keep coming." Well, that's not. Well, that's clearly not true. Well, that's what he's They're saying. They're not moths, Tim. All right, well, whatever. I mean, I don't. You know, okay. So that's it on that. I mean, for good. I mean, I guess maybe we should be glad that the United States no longer solves everything by dropping atomic weapons, uh, it, because it does seem like we went through a little bit of a phase where that was our answer for everything. You know. Uh, you know, where some country would be, you know, we're, you know, we're late shipping you, you know, VCR. We'll bomb you. I mean, that was kind of our response. So I guess maybe that we no longer immediately reach for scorched earth is good. But that seems like a little bit of a... Can't we bribe people anymore? It worked on numerous occasions. Well, you know, and here's here's the thing I wonder about, Tim. Whatever happened to all that, like, uh, so-called germ warfare we were going to be using? Weren't we going to be giving the guys, like, I don't know, scabies or something? And then that was going to... And... Do you oh, remember... it's all up at Hermiston, isn't it? <laughs> We just, that's the, we, we just need to send, we need to pack up Hermiston 
and Tawila in a box and send them over to the uh, send them over to like Afghanistan. And also, do you remember after uh, 9/11 there was this talk about how you couldn't just go in and start killing all the Al Qaeda guys because they were hiding, and so you had to do this sort of undercover thing where you had like a guy who had like the poison umbrella and he'd like stand next to the Al Qaeda guy on a bridge and go look over there and like, jab him with poison or something. Yeah. Is that happening? Do you suppose? Seems like we're just kind of fighting this war the way we. Like an old-fashioned well, well, war, but not you, quite uh, as successfully. You have to find the the right king. I guess. Uh, you know, I don't. I mean, but I've never seen Afghans carrying umbrellas. Well, uh, and can I ask a question? I don't mean to sound again. I don't mean to sound flip, but this is something we sort of we sort of nibbled around the edges of this observation. And you take a lot of those places over there, uh, which basically are filled with criminals and thugs and terrorists. Why? Because no one else wants to live there. And nobody would ever go searching there because it's just so inhospitable, which is why the terrorists go there. Right. Uh, you will please forgive me for making an unfortunate analogy, but you know the the, uh, the Mormon Church, the Latter Day Saints, when they were trekking across the country, being driven from place to place, and very, uh, you know, very in a very real way being persecuted, uh, the Mormons picked Salt Lake City because it's just at the time was just a hole. It was uh, the Afghanistan of America. Yeah, really, it was. I mean, it was just uh, you know, it was just ringed by mountains. Nothing could grow there. It was horrible. It was. Awful in the winter, inhospitable in the summer. It was rocky and barren. And Brigham Young said, the, you know, whoever said, this is the place. And, like, nobody will ever come here because it, it sucks. You know what it is? It's the same reason the Manhattan Project took place in my hometown. Because the government came and they looked at what was then just barren nothingness. And they said, well, this place sucks. No one's ever going to come here. No one will ever realize we're making nuclear weapons because why would you ever come to this horrible asshole of a town? So it is with a lot of these places where are the, the terrorists and the Al-Qaeda and the so forth. So I guess my point is, who would really miss those places if they were just gone tomorrow? I mean, really. That's true. I'm not suggesting we had to just nuke everything, but there are places in this world that aren't being used for anything good. They're being used for nothing except just, uh, you know, they're just filled with, they're filled with just dust and, and criminals. No, people look like filthy billy goats. I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of places that we could sort of wipe them off the map tomorrow and nobody would really care. I'm not saying we should, but it does seem like... It does seem like that's a thing that our government ought to maybe just consider now and again, or, or you know, with Saudi Arabia. Here's Tim Riley. Meanwhile, a man terrified workers at the local Burgerville. This happened in Kelso. But he walked in with a knife demanding money, but left before getting any. The man who was hiding a knife under a white towel. Now, first of all, when a guy in a white comes in holding a white towel, you know something. So he told an employee at the Kelso Burgerville to put money in a plastic bag that he brought with him. This happened uh, early in the morning. The employee told him no. So then the would-be robber told the worker, all right, I'm going to go back and get a gun. He walked out of the restaurant. He didn't come back. Witnesses uh, said they saw him running down the street. Police used a dog to search for the man, but never found him. People familiar with the area said that the Burgerville, uh, well, it, it isn't a, a surprising location for an attempted robbery. Kelso has its fair share of crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, witnesses say the, uh, burger, uh, the burger burglar is about six feet tall. <laughs> the burger burglar, really? Yeah, is about, uh, I just made that up. Six feet tall, 200 pounds, wearing a black and dark gray hat. All right. Uh, by the way, so he came in with a towel? Yeah, a towel with a knife underneath. Yeah. I mean, holding a towel. Gee, I wonder what's underneath this towel. Any guy comes in wearing a towel, holding a towel, clutching a towel, uh, really, unless, uh, unless he's got sort of, as they would say, an electronic thumb for hitching a ride... Uh, and unless his first name is Ford, you should avoid that guy because he's going to be nothing but trouble. Hey, speaking of towels, uh, this has nothing to do with anything, but have, has anybody here seen the movie Eastern Promises with Viggo Mortensen? 
No. You ought to see that, Tim. Probably not you, Sarah. I don't think you'd like it. No. Uh, it's a movie called Eastern Promises. came out last year with Viggo Mortensen, who was, uh, of course, in Lord of the Rings, and he's been some other things. It's a fantastic movie, Tim. It's about... Um, it is about a uh, um, it's about uh, a man trying to work his way up in America uh, in the Russian mafia. Oh, that's awesome. and it's a fantastic film. I will say it does have a very very intense uh, fight scene mm-hmm. between Viggo Mortensen and some dudes. It has a very one one of the most intense fight sequences I've ever seen in my life, and it's made more intense by the fact I'm not spoiling anything here, but it's made more intense by the fact that the guys who are having the fight scene are, for all intents and purposes, naked. Uh, and so it's guys fighting it out without any clothes on. And you don't realize how much that makes you sort of cringe when you're watching it because you just you can sort of feel every sort of punch. But uh, uh, Viggo Mortensen, uh, Eastern Promise is a fine film. Oh, by the way, uh, we have here, uh, this is from India, a teenage girl in central India, yes, killed herself uh, on Wednesday after being, wait for it, traumatized by media reports that the Super Collider would bring about the end of the world. The girl from the state of Madhya Pradesh drank pesticide. Oh. Was rushed to the hospital but later died. So there you go. She was. So they're really going to do the Super Collider thing. I think they already did it. They turned it on this morning. That's 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 why all the talk. It's switched on, baby. So how long is it on for? Till we die. I don't know. I you, really you should, you ought to know. I'm sorry. Given the last hour of the program, I don't know. I guess it was 20 we're all sucked into a large black hole. Yeah, and spaghettified. Well, I can accept that. All right, let's do one more and then we'll break. We'll come back with uh, rock historian Tim English, more of your phone calls and uh so forth. Here's Tim Riley. A man retrieving his hat is crushed by a train. Eight line Miami. Is this a Darwin watch? Well, it's not big enough. All right. Uh Miami comes where the man was crushed to death. By a train as he tried to retrieve his windblown hat. A witness told authorities the man fell onto the railroad tracks as he bent over to get his hat about 5.45 a.m. No other details are available. What else? What else? What other details do you need? I wonder if the hat was crushed also. I don't know. Well, maybe it's a fedora. Those things snap back. Oh, that's true. Uh, let's see here. Hey, uh, Rick, you can uh, about lice. You can wa- This is not for me, by the way. This is just because we had the lice story with the kids. Man, that's another thing you don't have to worry about if you don't have kids. Kid coming home, scratching his head, going, hey, what are these things on my brain? He says, you know, uh, if you wash your hair regularly, you can shave your head, then sit in the sun to kill them. That would be interesting and maybe satisfying. You know, my mom is a rube, uh, still is, but was a rube especially. And, you know, they, she did that thing of, like, they had to, they put her head in a bucket of kerosene. Uh, oh, yeah, I've heard of that before. Yeah, which is not good because I guess it also makes your skin peel off. So that was probably not a lot of fun. But that was my mom. They're like, no, 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 come here. Just, uh, you know, just hold your breath. Head right in a big bucket of kerosene. You know, it's just amazing that more people don't inadvertently kill themselves every day. This world is just full of just just hicks and inbreds. Not my mom, but, I mean, her family was no great shakes. There's no getting around that. We have a two-alarm fire. Now we're to a way, we understand. It is at Southwest Columbia Avenue at 18th, sending heavy smoke into the air. Southwest, hold on, Southwest Columbia and 18th. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's that's sort of in the direction of PG Park. Apparently, there there are 10 units affected by this. That's a residential fire near Southwest Columbia Avenue and 18th, sending heavy smoke into the air. Where's Columbia? Uh, It's by Yamhill, isn't it? Yeah. it's Salmon, Yamhill? It's it's right on the other side of the coin tower. It'd be on the far side of the coin tower. (gasps) Yes. Okay. Oh, that's right. Right. Okay, but on 18th then. So, like towards Kink. 18th, that's over the 405. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's actually just a couple streets over from Kink. So try not to breathe if, if you're in that area. That's like college housing. I've done a lot of fires lately. I know it. All right. 
All this stuff to do. All right, so we're going to talk to a rock historian, Tim English, here in a few moments. Uh, let's see what else. I have this backup top five. Please don't get all excited about it. It really is just there as like a like a fallback position. It's a Richie's Hooker top five, but we never did it, and so I just kind of keep it around in case we need the top five. Uh, more phone calls to get to. Don't forget, we are taking your 60-second rants all day long. Topics uh, rant on anything of your choosing as long as you created it yourself and it's radio safe. At the end of the program, we'll take the best 60-second rant, uh, and you will win a pair of tickets to see Dennis Miller live this weekend, this Saturday, to be specific, Spearmount Casino, as well as overnight lodging. All right, let's see. What else? Um, you rants. What? You rants. You rants so far away? I don't know where we were going with there. Were we making a joke? I was, no, I, I was setting you up. You rants. What is the setup there? What was my punchline supposed to be? I don't know. You're supposed to come up with something clever. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what should we do right now? Let's, let's break. Let's break. Let's break. Ready? Break. Take a little break. All right. Back after this, Tim Riley returns at the bottom of the hour. Uh, more news. It's 503-733-2970. Rock historian Tim... <laughs> How ironic, by the way, that I couldn't pronounce the word English. Tim English, rock historian around the corner. Later on, more news from Tim Riley. Like it's a three. Michael Mara show at seven. The Rick Emerson show can do... Can... Bye. The Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along. It's 503 Just a moment, we are attempting to uh, rustle up one Mr. Tim English, who is the author of Sounds Like Teen Spirit, Stolen Melodies, Ripped Off Riffs, and the Secret History uh, of Rock and Roll. So we are uh, looking into that here. And by looking into it, I mean Richie's calling and getting voicemail. So now we're trying the backup number. This is the glory of radio, specifically live radio. You don't get this thrill with pre-recorded programming, Sarah. Mm, No, you don't. And oh. All right. Well, what time is it? It's 2.11. All right, I got all this stuff to do. So we have um, we have the top five to get to. Uh, more from Tim Riley coming up. Uh, we'll get some of your calls here in a second. By the way, don't forget, we are taking your 60-second rants uh, all day long uh, until, I don't know, about 2.45 or so. A 60-second rant of uh, your own creation on any topic you're choosing. doesn't matter what it's about, as long as it's clean for the air, and as long as you created it yourself, came out of your own head, you can read it off the page, you can read it off a uh, script, you can do it uh, freestyle, it doesn't matter. As long as you created it yourself... You'll rant on any topic you're choosing uh, for 60 seconds. And at the end of the day, the best rant, as determined by we, the Rick Emerson Castro crew, uh, scores a pair of tickets to see Dennis Miller live Saturday night at Spear Mountain Casino, as well as overnight lodging and accommodations. Stations, stations. I'm assuming that's going to be uh, Mr. English right there. All right. In the meantime, let's... Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. It's Andy, the homeschool kid. Of course it is. Hello, sir. Um, are you still at all curious about the black hole thing? Well, let's pretend for the moment that I am. Go. A black hole is essentially a collapsed star that gravity, gravimetric, whatever. The pull of gravity from the black hole is so strong that nothing escapes it. And then once it's in the black hole, the black hole acts like a giant supersized trash compactor and crushes everything down to a subatomic size because of how strong the gravity is. You know, let me ask you this, Andy. Uh, you know, you, you call us now and again, and I would say that you're somebody who has a, a smaller profile with the audience. They've heard you a lot. 
were you always just freakishly smart, or is this a thing your parents somehow like? Did your parents some do something to you to turn your brain into some weird hyperactive uh, s s smartometer? Well, one thing is I've been obsessed with space since <laughs> second grade, mm -hmm. so I've read a whole bunch of factoids. And I, well, I'm one of those weird teenagers who actually enjoys reading. All right, good for you. Uh, you know, uh, I would say this, that sometimes I have my suspicions or my doubts or whatever about the, I'm not always convinced that homeschooling is the way to go. But i got to tell you this, just based on my read uh, on you as a human being, it, it, I could probably pick you up and kick you out of a plane into the Amazon, and you would come out of there like ten times smarter than you were going in. You just seem like no, a guy who likes to learn, Andy. I would not come out of that as alive. Didn't you see Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull? Fair enough. Game, set, match, and the pupil becomes the teacher. All right, thank you. Welcome. Bye. All right. You know, never mind. I'm just going to make this one observation about Andy, the homeschool kid, and I'm really not going to not going to make fun of him anyway because I do genuinely like him. He seems like a he seems like a good egg, smart cookies, they say. Mm -hmm. But I get the email every now and again from uh, I think it's his mom who emails, and. Yeah, I'm not going to say that I'm still bitter about it, because I'm really not. I've moved on. I'm 35. i got all kinds of things to be bitter about. Uh, but as to paraphrase Nick Twisp and to paraphrase him badly, it does make you wonder why some people in the great sort of gumball machine in the sky get sent down the tube and they get raised by, like, Andy's family, who raised him to be smart and erudite and to learn things and to enjoy reading. And, you know, and I just got raised by the cast of Hee Haw. It just doesn't seem fair. It really doesn't. I mean, the next karmic go-around, I mean, I want to be raised by somebody smart. I don't mean, you know, no offense, Mom. My mother's a saint. But, you know, my family was not really about book learning. And it's just, I look back and I just, first of all, it's amazing that I can even, like, use a chair correctly. It is my whole, 90% of the discussion of my family's house was about grunting at somebody to pash more fish sticks. Jesus. All right. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show the author of Smells, uh, I'm sorry, Sounds Like Teen Spirit, The Stolen Melodies, Ripped Off Riffs, and the Secret History of Rock and Roll, Mr. Timothy English. Hello, sir. Hey, thanks for having me on. Not at all, sir. About the uh, we had a little bit of a little bit of a, an imbroglio, a kerfuffle, a thing like that, trying to get you on the uh, on the phone today. But thank you for joining us, my friend. Um, all right. So first of all, out of the gate, if I had to just uh, ask you right now, single most stolen riff, melody, or element of rock and roll is go. Well, I would say the most famous case of this is uh, the George Harrison song, My Sweet Lord, uh, and the similarities to the Chiffon's oldie, He's So Fine. Uh, that was kind of the case that got me interested in this whole subject. And uh, the reason I wanted to write a book about it, it's a uh, subject of a lot of interest to uh, music fans and uh, something that kind of provides a unique window of looking into the whole history of rock and roll. In uh, George's case, of course, he'd just come off the massive success of the Beatles and the DJ's. Uh, when they would play My Sweet Lord, uh, took it upon themselves to also play the song He's So Fine by the Chiffons. And, um, you know, legal action ensued, and George ended up losing a lawsuit and having to pay over half a million dollars in 1970s money uh, to the publishers of the uh, Chiffon song He's So Fine. You know, it does seem, it's interesting because uh, two things. One, you know, there's a story which uh, Paul McCartney himself has said, or I would think it was apocryphal, where McCartney had the melody for yesterday, and he kept walking around humming the melody to people because he was convinced that he had stolen it from somewhere unknowingly. He kept walking around going, na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na, because he was convinced yeah. that he'd taken it. And then it turns out that, he no, he's just a genius. But it, it does make you wonder how many songs have their sort of genesis, even unconsciously, in the melody of some other song. I, I would guess it's the bulk of rock songs. 
That's an awful lot of them. An awful lot of the similarities in my book sounds like teen spirit are just that subconscious things. And even in the case of George Harrison, my sweet lord, the judge said it was subconscious. How we figured that out, I'm not quite sure. But you put your finger on something there. With uh, that's a question that always fascinated me: of how does a composer know that this is his original melody that he's got in his head, and not something that he heard somewhere else, or maybe on the radio after a few drinks one night, and uh, that's come out again. And uh, you know, I think certain of the songs in the book in the process of the song being recorded uh, the artist was made aware of the similarity of the song to another song but uh, some of them uh, nobody like in the case of the Rolling Stones song Anybody Seen My Baby on their Bridges to Babylon album that song is a, sounds an awful lot of like the Katie Lang song Constant Craving which I think most music fans would be familiar with and if you hear the Stones song you automatically think of Katie Lang's song well, yet when the Stones were recording their song no engineer or no assistant or producer said, hey, guys, you know, that sounds kind of familiar. You know, and that's that's the other thing I wonder. There's this song, and we'll play some samples here in just a few. We have uh, we actually have the, the He's So Fine, My Sweet Lord thing, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about the, our good friends, uh, Mr. Huey Lewis and Mr. John Fogarty, and we got some examples uh, of them being ripped off. But I, it's interesting you bring up that anybody's seen my baby, because it's interesting that when that song came out, everybody said to me, wait a minute, this sounds just like that Katie Lang song. And there's actually yeah. even more. There's this, there's this, man, there's this Oasis song called Shaker Maker. Yeah. And Shaker Maker is like flat out, note for note, absolutely stolen from I'd like to teach the world to sing. And to the point that it is impossible to me that somebody at the record company didn't go, wait a minute, we're going to get sued for this because you stole it. Well, they did get sued. They did get sued for that, and they, uh, the, the uh, writers of that song, I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing, which everybody remembers from a Coca-Cola sure. commercial, a very famous commercial, they now own a piece of uh, Shaker Maker. Do, I mean, do, do record companies just figure, okay, well, look, we, we're probably going to get hit for this, uh, you know, and we'll probably have to pay something out, but the song is probably going to be a big hit, and we're going to make enough money that it's worth our while? Do they just figure that it's, it is an acceptable loss? I think, again, you put your finger on something there. Uh, I, in a lot of these cases, as you look over the cases I had in my, I book, my book, if you can throw your uh, moral scruples out the window, done. You can be pretty, <laughs> you can be pretty successful doing this because a lot of times these little musical thefts really gave people their uh, foot in the door sure. in the music business. Uh, you know, even the Beach Boys. Uh, their song Surfing USA, Surfing Safari was a sort of a minor hit. Surfing USA really put them on the map in England and the U.S. And he basically swiped Chuck Berry's song. He had his own name on it, but it's, surf, it's Chuck Berry's song, Sweet Little Sixteen, with new words, basically. I think, that, uh, I think, actually, if you look at sort of recent pressings or whatever they call it now, but recent releases of Surfing USA, I think it might actually be the case that Chuck Berry is now listed as the sole songwriter there, even though he obviously didn't read the, or write the lyrics. I think the court actually was just so offended at the egregious theft, they went, oh, we're just going to give the whole thing to him, Brian. Well, you're correct that Chuck Berry, for many years, was credited as the only writer on that. That was because they did bring legal action, and I think it was Brian Wilson's father, the kind of notorious guy, Murray Wilson, yeah. was administering Brian's publishing, and he said, okay, take the whole song. But, you know, it should be. Now I believe it's listed as Brian, and Brian Wilson and Chuck Berry, which is more accurate because Brian at least did write new words to it. We're talking to uh, Timothy English, author of the book Stolen Melodies, Ripped Off Rips, and the Secret History of Rock and Roll. I'm sorry, Smells Like... Uh, I keep saying smells, even though I've written it in huge letters. Sounds yeah, like Teen perfect. Spirit. Stolen Melodies, Ripped Off Rips, Secret History of Rock and Roll. So I'm gonna, we have our sister station across the hall, and for their Halloween promotion, they're going to be showing on the big screen the movie Ghostbusters. So this is a good chance to talk a little bit about that. Now, I've got, I'm going to play a little sample of the song Ghostbusters, Ray Parker Jr. I will play that right here. And this, of course, 
certainly an iconic song, a number one hit, I think. Yes, it was. Only a little of the lyric here. So, so there's the Ray Parker Jr. Uh, song, which, uh, in the estimation of many, including I think Huey Lewis, was stolen from what? I want a new drug. Uh, but Huey Lewis's hit from uh, his sports album in 1983. And uh, you want to hear the backstory on this now, or you, we play the song? We'll first? Play a little bit of the song here, and then we'll uh, we'll hear the backstory. Skip ahead here so we can hear a little bit of that. Uh... I mean, that's pretty egregious. Uh, you got to ask yourself, like, how did he think he was going to get away with that? Yeah, well, the, according to Huey Lewis, he told Behind the Music, VH1 show a few years ago, that the producers, uh, Columbia Pictures, who were producing the movie Ghostbusters, had come to him in early 1984 and said, hey, we'd like to use your song, I Want a New Drug, in the movie. And Huey did not want to license it for the movie, and he said thanks, but no thanks. Uh, flash forward about six months, Huey was driving down the road, and he hears Ray Parker Jr.'s song, Ghostbusters, and he absolutely freaked out because he knew that they were thinking about using right. his song in the movie. Uh and, uh, you know, according to Huey, what happened is that producers, after being turned down by Huey, went to Ray Parker and said, we don't want something light and easy is the title song for this movie. Something, well, something kind of like this. And uh. played him, I, I, want a, I want a new drug. Uh, Huey did bring legal action. It was an out-of-court settlement. And, uh, you know, I would think from, as we just heard from that musical evidence, it would seem that he had a pretty strong case there. In your opinion, we're talking to uh, Timothy English, author of the book Sounds Like Teen Spirit, Stolen Melodies, Ripped Off Riffs. The sacred history of rock and roll. Are there, uh, I don't, probably not chord progressions, but are there sort of riffs or little sort of guitar trills, in your opinion, that are done so often and so frequently that they almost can't even be really stolen anymore because they're just so prevalent? Well, uh, you get into a thing. I mean, most rock and roll music, I was talking to somebody this morning. He said, you know, you learn a few chords on the guitar. You can learn four or five chords and play about 50% uh, of the rock and roll songs or an awful lot of them or make an approximation of them because most rock is based on a very simple uh, three, four, five chord progression, right. uh, standard booze progression. And, uh so, yeah, there are a lot of standard elements in there. Well, you really get into trouble, and I, I think you can make a comparison to literary plagiarism, where obviously we only have a certain amount of letters or words or ways to describe something. But when you get it where it's so obvious, uh, that's when you really get into trouble, where you don't bother to change something around at all uh, or for laziness or, or whatever reason. Uh, that's when you really get into trouble uh, with these copyright infringements. So, well, here's a dumb question. So if... If some guy writes a song, and like five years later, he turns on the radio, or in the case of Huey Lewis, six, six months later, turns on the radio, and he says, wait a minute, that sounds a lot like it was stolen from me. If they go to court about, like, in other words, if there's no settlement, they actually have to go to court, do, do they actually put the notes, like, up on the, whatever, the notes on the sheet music or whatever, or do they just play it for the jury back-to-back -back with the other thing and go, like, they, you make they up do your mind? Both. 
they do both. You, I'll try to make this as quick as possible because I have people ask me a question on what do you need to prove a copyright infringement case. Number one, uh, you have to prove access. In other words, uh, you have to prove that the person accused of stealing the song could have heard it. For that reason, most uh, prominent acts erect a wall of inaccessibility around them. They do not listen to unsolicited material from songwriters, and for good reason. So Joe Blow out in uh, Montana somewhere can't come back uh, and say, hey, you stole my song. I sent it in to you. Maybe you listen to it. Uh, they, they put a wall up around themselves right. where they don't listen to these things. In the case of a song like George Harrison or uh, and the, the uh, Chiffon song or, Hugh, or uh, the Huey Lewis song, it was obvious that the person accused of barring could have heard the song. Right. Uh, so that's number one. You've got to prove they could have heard it. Then you have to prove substantial similarity, which consists of both did the jury or judge think that the song sounds alike, a very objective test, and then a more... Uh, uh, ex they call it extrinsic similarity of uh, do the uh, you know they bring the musicologist and so forth and talk about the tempo and the notes and so forth. So that's what it comes down to: so, prove, try to prove the case. So I seem to remember, and tell me if I'm wrong. I seem to remember something uh, in that in the whole John Fogerty thing, and we'll play some uh, some of that in a second. Uh, where when he at one point on the witness stand, like with a guitar, actually having to play a song for the jury on the witness stand so they could see if he had ripped off himself. That's exactly right, and uh, probably the strangest, most bizarre case in the book is the case you're mentioning, where John Fogarty was actually accused of uh, stealing his own song. This was the song, uh, The Old Man Down the Road, his sort of comeback hit from the Centerfield album in 1985, was accused of uh, ripping off or stealing his own song, the Creedence Clearwater song from 15 years earlier, called Run Through the Jungle. And you're right, John Fogarty did go into the courtroom armed with his guitar and tried to explain successfully explain to the jury how the songs had different chords and uh, and so forth. Uh, let me just uh, I gotta let me just play a little back to back here. Uh, so this is Creedence Clearwater Revival uh, Run Through the Jungle. That's Run Through the Jungle, and then this from his Centerfield album is um, Old Man Down the Road. This case got a lot of attention, and I never heard it. I never heard the similarity, but I guess it was like it must have been some guy at the record company or some the publishing agent. 
The songs do sound kind of the same, but why shouldn't they? It's John Fogarty. It's the same guy singing, the same authors working in the same uh, style. So, right. you know, uh, it's not surprising that they would sound the same. This case got kind of caught up in some other issues, though, where uh, he had a long-running feud where for years, he was out of the music business for about 10 years, John Fogarty was, and he had a long-running feud with a man named Saul Zaints, who was the head of Fantasy Records out of Berkeley, California, and uh, he had a real kind of poison pen songs on center field, which actually called him out by name, and uh, this guy got caught up in that lawsuit and a lot of bad blood where this kind of got thrown in on top yeah. A big grudge fest. Yeah, it was. Uh, but uh, Fogarty was successful in defending it, armed with his guitar in front of the jury. All right, the book is Sounds Like Teen Spirit, Stolen Melodies, Ripped Off Riffs, and the Secret History of Rock and Roll. Timothy English, thank you, my friend, for joining us, and the best of continued success with your literary pursuits, my friend. Hey, it's been my pleasure. I'm sorry for the mix-up there. It was my fault. Not at all. Thank you. There you go. Richie, can we make sure we have his uh, contact info correct and uh, all of that and the whatnot? And the hey, there you go, Tim English. All right. Hello, Tim Riley. Well, hello. How are you today? I couldn't be better than yourself. All right, I'm fantastic. Uh, shall we take a break, come back, do some news? Yes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, back after this, more from Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Coming up at 3, like us, Michael Merrick Show at 7, and so forth. Stay there, it's the Rick Emerson Show on AM 970. Don't go anywhere. A brave man beats a man named Fan with a fan as he wrestles the gun out of his hands. I don't understand. Mr. Fan was beaten with a fan. What is going on in this news story? Well, our shooting suspect is badly hurt after he knocked on the door. Well, the man in the bedroom is waiting and his weapon of choice, an oscillating fan. An oscillating fan. Well, the man in the bedroom is waiting, and his weapon of choice, an oscillating fan. An oscillating fan. Mr. Fan was greeted by a man armed with an oscillating fan. He beats the suspect down the stairs with the oscillating fan. Fan like ham? Right. Okay. Armed with an oscillating fan. Long fan. Okay. The victim of the fan attack. Back up for a second. An oscillating fan. An oscillating fan. Okay. Mr. Dong Fan. Ham with a P in front of it, which makes it a fan. An oscillating fan. An oscillating fan. Okay. An oscillating fan. Mr. Fan and the fan. Mr. Dong Fan. Okay. You know what I never noticed till just now is in the background when you go, do they live off of Grand? Yeah. <laughs> I never heard that before. Well done, Calvin. I never heard that before, either. It's 503-733-2970. You know what I have heard before, Tim? I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. Just, you know. Hey, let's go around the room quickly. In our opinion, do we believe that the uh, Barack thing is an unintentional uh, comparison, or do we believe that was intentional? Tim? Intentional. Me too. Intentional, Sarah? absolutely. See, you know, God love Lisa Desjardins, but she just she believes the best about people, even when it's clearly not warranted. And she lives in Washington, D.C. She ought to know better. And she's Catholic. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen at the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. A residential fire is burning as we speak near Southwest Columbia Avenue and 18th, sending heavy smoke into the air. While the crumbling economy is prompting thieves in Pennsylvania to become creative, apparently burglars knocked down a 120-foot radio tower, cut it to pieces, and then took off with it. They also store more than 100 uh, feet of copper wire, which was attached to the bottom of the tower, 
and likely were knowledgeable about electricity. How do they do it? Well, the entire tower, by the way, is valued $50,000. The theft occurred while authorities were focusing on the town's main roads due to an annual motorcycling event. The owner of the radio tower is offering a $1,000 reward to help find whatever's left to it. Of course, he has no way to uh, let people know he's offering a reward. That's true. Well, a Texas woman is trying to figure out how to pay a $68,000 phone bill from AT&T. At first, Joanne Shiplett thought the bill was a joke. Oh, it was no joke. You see, her son had hooked up a cell phone to a computer and was downloading the YouTube videos. A 20-year-old ran up over $14,000 in one connection alone. The young man said he thought he was using a friend's Internet service and he would not be charged. But AT&T said they'll credit the account and take measures to make sure it doesn't happen again. Hey, you know, speaking of which, that reminds me of this. Uh, well, never mind. All right, it's Tim Riley. Some uh, New Jersey high school. Oh, wait. i got to buy a laptop at some point. I was just thinking about that. Oh, yeah. Laptops are genius. Uh, but I realize now, there's really what is there to say. I thought you want a laptop. And saw no reason to buy one. Um, I don't think I ever said that. Did you say your wife wanted one? Well, she wants... Uh, yes. Yes. Nah, and never mind. You had, you had put your foot down saying, wife, you may not have one. That's exactly what I did, Tim, because that always works. <laughs> Guys, you're with me. That always has the desired effect, huh? All right. Uh, no, no, it's just a, you know, it's a whole thing. I was just thinking about it last night. So. Go buy a laptop then. Well, I was I was trying to write some stuff. I was out last night, and I was trying to do a little uh, writing on something. Uh-huh. And I was just, you know, but I didn't have a legal pad with me. And, uh, you know, you can't write a bunch of stuff in your BlackBerry. That doesn't really work. Uh, and so then I had my day planner, and so I was using those, like, lame, generic notes pages in the back of your day planner, which is just, you know, but then you got to transcribe them later into, you know, electronic form and... Anyway, maybe it's a thing I'm not going to do. Let's quit talking. Here's Tim Riley. I think you should get one. All right, thanks. Government officials handling billions of dollars in oil royalties engage in illicit sex with employees of energy companies that were dealing... Oh, they also received numerous gifts from the people they're having sex with. This involves Interior Department employees in Denver and Washington. Uh, some of their other sins, including rigging contracts, working part-time as consultants, having sexual relations with, and accepting golf trips and ski trips and dinners, all from oil company executives... Uh, apparently, there is a culture of substance abuse and promiscuity. Good for them. Maybe they want a weekend show. Mm-hmm. Uh, between 2002 and 2006, nearly a third of the 55-person staff in the Denver office received gifts, gratuities, and sex, all from oil and gas companies. You know, really? Yeah. Yes. I keep trying to get CBS to give me, like, a parking pass for if I have to be downtown. Well, whatever. All right, fine. Well, you never ask for sex. No, it's, you know, I'm just saying. What is the sound effect? I guess it's nothing. I found a sound effect here. I love those kind of sound effects. Why do I own this? I was looking for that. Remember we did our sound effect inventory? Well, you did that, and then we forgot to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. I, during the break, I was looking through uh, my sound effects library that I've got here on the computer. Why do I have that sound? What would I possibly have needed what this for? What is that? I, I keep... Well, I'm, I don't know. That's gets my thing. I mean, there's the question of what is it in actuality, and then the question of for what did I need it? Does anybody recognize that sound? No. no. Don't call about it. I don't care that much. Well, I'm going to delete that because why would I possibly need that? Maybe it's part of something else. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, hey, in just a second, uh, Tim, are you heading to Preparo News? I am, yes. All right, so let me read some emails. Uh, then we'll bid the adieu for, uh, to Tim Riley for just a moment. Then we'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. We'll announce the winner of the uh, Dennis Miller Grand Prize. And we got a couple on air today and then a ton sent to us via email. Uh, and so we will uh, sort through all of those. We'll announce the winner on the other side. Let me read these emails. Rick. About the Super Collider. They have turned it on, but they haven't caused a collision yet. It will operate until they can't get any more information from it. Not unlike a Guantanamo prisoner. Rick, 
Uh, about Barack Obama, I think he said it knowing what the underlying comment could mean. He knows a lot of his audience is younger and he's playing to them. I could hear across the audience in unison a lot of, oh, no, he didn't. It's refreshing to see uh, in the bland world of politics a little TMZ is coming out. And then, Tim, you'll be... You'll be... Hello? Well, never mind. Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen, greatest newsman in the history of the world. Back Where at 4, 5, 6, and 7. I thought we had all agreed to sit here and read some emails. I don't know. Anyway, this guy says, uh, Rick, to paraphrase something you say quite often, when we listen to your show, Tim Riley is the man we want to be. Sadly, Rick Emerson is the man we are. I'd like to make a reference about Sarah, but I'm afraid there's no way to say it without sounding oogie. All right. Well, should we break? Yeah. All right, let's take a break. Let's do that. Back after this, uh, we will announce the winner of today's uh, Dennis Miller rant-off. Uh, the uh, winner will be going to see uh, Dennis Miller live, Spirit Mountain Casino, this Saturday, as well as overnight accommodations. Uh, don't forget, we're, oh, we'll have uh, Dennis on the show tomorrow as well. Uh, talk to Dennis Miller tomorrow around 11.15 or so. Back after this, you want to sneak on before the end of the uh, show? You can do it now. It's 503-733-2970. Back after this. Well, all right then. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. Join us tomorrow, and our guests will include Peter Carlin for the Oregonian and Dorothy Casaseri from the National Enquirer. Enquirer? Huh? Huh. All right. You know what I just found here in the stack? Sheriff's sure. Office. Uh, this is Mrs. Frosty at 20 Evelyn Court. What's going on? There's an alligator in my kitchen. How long do you think the alligator is? In? It's huge. That's the best the payoff right there. It's huge. Right. Huge. Uh, like us next, Michael Mara show at uh, seven. All right, we got like what four minutes here, four and a half. Yeah, like four. All right. Uh, we will now do uh, random calls to the top of the hour. If you've been trying to uh, sneak away into the program today, uh, now is the time to do it. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. You want to climb on before we uh, hit the top of the hour? Uh, then I have to say anything about Dorothy Carsey I did. Oh, hey, before we do anything else, and then I got the email to read and then some, uh, some crap and some stuff and whatnot. Um, so the uh, winner of the grand prize, Dennis Miller Spirit Mountain Casino, going to see him Saturday night, staying at the uh, plush Spirit Mountain Casino accommodations. And that goes to Simon of the Fashion Rant. Uh, Simon of the Fashion Rant. So we got a few in the air today. I got a whole bunch of the uh, email. Uh, Simon is the guy walking away with that. So congratulations to Simon, you of the 60-second rant about fashion. You are going to see Dennis Miller live Saturday night, Spearmont Casino, and then you will be uh, staying the night as well. So, Rich, if you want to forward me, make sure I got his information, and we'll uh, get him all hooked up, as they say. Very cool. Uh, also, we'll talk to um, – so tomorrow we have Dorothy Carcassari. Uh We have Peter Carlin, and then we'll talk to uh, Dennis Miller tomorrow, uh, like, uh, I don't know, 11.15, something like that, uh, and then uh, so forth. All right, so uh, without further ado, where did I put the uh, – we'll get these calls in a second, but I wanted to – I reminded myself that I, I've – Really slacked off on doing this. Where the, how do I hell do I sort by being created? Uh, we've slacked off on doing our sound clip inventory, so we'll try to get some of that uh, done here as well before we run. So we got like, what, three minutes? Mm -hmm. All right. It's uh, 503-733-2970. Uh, we'll do calls to the top and sound clip inventory. Hello, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi, how are you today? I am fine. How are you? I'm good. I have a rant of the day. You realize you can't win anything for this. Oh, you guys already picked the winner? Yes, we did. But you should do it anyway just for love of country. Well, I will. It's actually about one of your uh, ardent listeners, Eric in Battleground. And I would like your show to please cut off the mind control beam that you have over him. He has forgotten to do his laundry, 
clean his home. Now he just wanders aimlessly through his yard listening to your show. And it's becoming quite horrible for his friends and relatives to listen to his aimless gawking about your facts, your so-called facts in your show. So please, Rick, let Eric from Battleground go from your mindless, brain-numbing wave. That's it. All right. Thank you, sir. <laughs> There's like a toilet flushing at the end. I don't know. You said they're ordering fast food or yeah. I don't even. Toilet. Yeah, I have no response to that. I don't know. He that. called you. It, it seems nice. Almost like mindless. Well, I, it was either right. a compliment or not. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, um, you, you said earlier today that uh, alibi, albino alligators was like an urban legend, and I actually saw one at the aquarium in Chicago. I know. As soon as I said that, I knew it was wrong. Oh, it was the coolest thing. It wasn't, like, completely white. It was kind of a dirty yellowish white, but it had blue eyes. Uh-huh. It was so cute. Yeah, and, I mean. And that guy's rent kind of sucked. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, alligators in the sewers, that's an urban legend. The albino, the albino alligator does actually exist. As soon as I said that, I would, and I was going to clarify it, and I thought nobody will notice and then that guy noticed and waited hours to call about it only to school me here at the end of my program thanks so much hi you're on the rick emerson show hello hello yes this is kit and i wanted to make a comment about sarah palin yes my ex has the hugest crush on sarah palin well she's crushable yeah i i assume so in a rather fascist sort of way (laughs) but um i mean she's well kempt but I keep reminding him that, you know, Mussolini and lipstick is still Mussolini. Good for you. Thank you. All right. Well done. All right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. I was going through the tunnel, and the damn AM cut off right when you were announcing the winner. Who was it? Uh, the winner was Simon He of the Fashion Rant, sir. Simon He of the Fashion Rant. Uh, that is uh, Amplitude Modulation bringing you that news. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. What? Hello, you. Did you hear the talking stain? What? What? Okay, thanks. Do I dare do one more? Or do we end on that? I think we should end on the stain. I think so. No offense, sir. Uh, all right, we want to thank uh, CNN Radio correspondents Steve Kastenbaum, uh, Lisa Desjardins, and uh, yes, and Lisa Desjardins, as well as uh, Timothy English, author of Sounds Like Teen Spirit, Stolen Melodies, Ripped Off Riffs, and The Secret History of Rock and Roll. Uh, join us tomorrow. Oh, and Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Join us tomorrow when I guess we'll include Dorothy Carcassari and Peter Carlin, as well as Dennis Miller, ladies and gentlemen. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Spillin for AM 970, the talker in the newsroom, Tim Riley, the phone's Richard Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, director of Engineering, Brian Jones, CBS Radio, Portland Marketing Guru, Susan Donak with me, Reynolds. Like us next, Mike O'Mara Show at 7. See you tomorrow at 10 for the recap, 11 for the show. Thanks for listening. Be safe. Watch out for snakes. Bye now. One big fiesta for illegal aliens and homosexuals.